doing the show. Oh, was he in the audience when when that happened? No, he wasn't. But he came into our um, after show room and then was asking, "Where's Where's Tyler? How is Tyler?" <laughs> I was going to say, "Does he need to be here?" Yeah, I mean, he's everywhere. Yeah. Oh, did, did you Did you send a very emotional uh, text to him that make him think that hey, how come Tyler become so emotional? So he had to check on you. No. Did you? Yeah. No. Okay. Tyler, I do hope you Cheryl, go to the bathroom Cheryl, without us. I don't think he would want to share that. I mean, that's that's personal. It's okay. Well, guys and guys can show emotional <laughs> affection to okay. each other too, right? Why not? It's okay. Yeah, don't there's no shame. Yeah. yeah, come on. Okay. How about okay. the news from Cammy? Yeah, Cammy did. need the air horn. Cammy was great. Um, Amazing. But, yeah. And Messi's in down there. Yep. You want me okay. to tweak the links? Um, yes, please. Hold on. And Vinay's back. Green bean. Oh, I know. Hey, that. Tyler. God, really Hello. Loves that green bean. I have to do my job now. Please, you know. Reason. Oh, by yeah. Tyler, maybe you should rotate the green bean and let others news, sort Tyler. of share <laughs> flat hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah, Tyler, well, she's she. It's more like a. It's not exactly a job. It's more like a gig. It's more like gig work, and it's and it's yeah, worse. The hourly it's, rate for the. It's gig worse work. than gig work. It's it's purely for <laughs> tips from the audience. It's so. work. <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't have I don't have my uh, white collar tip jar open. I don't need it. Oh, by the way, I've got good news, Tyler. Breaking What's that? news. What? I went on to check Canva video editing. I yes. think I can make it. It's it's quite simple. Yeah, it's not hard. Yeah. I think I'm going to make an awesome video. Cool. And I'll let you check first before I release it. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Where does Anna Marie go? I want to check in with her. Are we ready? Let's do yeah. this. Okay. Put your trays in the Up upright position. upright position. Upright and, position. Uh, yeah. Wait. Yes. Wait till we hit altitude. Hmm. Yes. I said you're going to be in the Big Bird tomorrow. Oh, that's right. Maybe that's why airplanes are in my mind. Yeah. So, <laughs> Tyler, when when are you arriving in Stockholm or in Actually, tomorrow I'm flying to Bangkok very early and then I have to do a few things in Bangkok and then my flight to Finland is the following morning and then I it's just a layover in Finland and then directly to Stockholm. God, so I arrive in Stockholm for like 5 days or something. No, I'm so, I'm going to be there for a while. Yeah. Oh, cool. Tyler, cool, cool. are we going to have a show tomorrow? That's what I thank you for asking. That was what was in my mind. I don't know is the honest answer. Cuz I don't know okay. if we do have it I'll almost certainly it'll be more like what the last room that we did where it was more uh not US on club channel? not club deck but clubhouse where I my audio is not perfect and you know yeah so no worries. Uh, we already more collaborative. have once rehearsal. Which so means I'll, it won't be Cammy. recorded. Yes. Yes. I'll get Which Cammy means it won't be recorded. To, to, um, to, to prepare, like, of course, I will also prepare headlines and then we'll just blast okay. it. Like okay. the way Cammy did it. It's a bit different style, but it works too. Yeah. All good. So the biggest headline at this moment, happy Thursday, November 4th, is that Instagram brings back support for sending Instagram images to Twitter. And that means 
uh, previously, you might have noticed if you try to share an, an inst- one of your Instagram photos on your Twitter account, you just see a blue link. And it turns out that was Instagram's doing, not Twitter's doing. That Twitter wasn't the one that was forcing, you know, not showing the photo. You would think, oh, well, Twitter doesn't want to show the photo because they don't want to send people to Instagram. Actually, no, it's the other way around. It was that Instagram wants to force you to go to Instagram to see the photo. So um, that's kind of cool. And I imagine, wouldn't that be amazing if you could tweet to Instagram so that uh, it would, or Facebook, so that you're, you know, some kind of image. I mean, you could do that. You could take an image of your tweet, but what about a link? To you know, it shows your tweet with a link to the tweet, so that people yeah, anyway wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice? Um, but that's the top story. So the next one is from Bloomberg. Google says it will let Android app developers use alternative billing systems in the Google Play Store in South Korea, complying with the new law. Yep, because uh, they like they like doing business in Korea. <laughs> they like. Uh, they like being able to make a lot of money and uh, they would rather make, you know, a lot than none. So they're going to have to uh, uh, kudos to Korea, by the way. That's that's they they led the charge. That's the first country to tell these big platforms. You can you cannot tax our entrepreneurs and developers this 30 percent that you are not really your argument for why you're doing that doesn't really hold up to. Critical thinking. I I imagine if they were charging 10%, countries would be fine with it. I think even developers would be fine with it. 15%, that's kind of where they're trying to be at right now. I think it's I think Google did bring it down to 15%. But you know, 30%, that's just you're being greedy. That's just being greedy and uh enough's enough, and here comes the change. And it's not I don't think it's gonna be slowly. I think we're going to continue to see a bunch of countries doing this. So the next one is that Tyler, thirty percent yes. is almost like a, a corporate tax rate or a tax rate that you would pay in in another country. It it, it is it's high, higher than that. They most it's crazy. Like, yeah. By the way, the 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 world is kind of agreeing right now on how big companies and these internet the fact that companies are now very international and. By being international, they play a lot of funny tax games by setting up in, you know, Liechtenstein and, you know, doing all these crazy bouncing around loophole jumping to to minimize their tax uh, ob- obligations. Or, um, and so they all all the countries realize the game. And so I, I think what an how, interesting is it not? There are lots of problems on planet Earth that can only be appropriately addressed by all the nations sitting down together and being like, we got to fix this. And climate change is one of those. And uh, uh, kind of the child sex, you know, all of that insanity of, you know, I don't know what we call sex trafficking and all of that. Yeah, exactly. So. All of that insanity has a global element to it and requires kind of a global cooperation. Maybe even cyber attacking. There's, but, and maybe some, there's some others. But interesting that they just came together as a planet 
and decided, you know what, we got to figure this out or we're going to keep losing. So let's work together. We all agree 15% flat tax around the planet and the company pays the tax where the transaction happened. Let's make it really clear. It doesn't matter where you're based. It doesn't matter that if you did the transaction, if the purchase was made in Argentina, you pay the tax in Argentina. If the purchase was made, if the transaction was done in Botswana, you pay the tax in Botswana, right? Because it's where the money's leaving. Yeah, it all can easily be done. Like there's software out there already that can calculate this kind of stuff. It's just... My point is, isn't it interesting that of all the global problems we have, they fix that one first. That, that that would actually bring them all to the table to get them to make a global agreement. The world cannot agree on anything. The UN cannot agree on climate change. The UN cannot. President Xi Jinping didn't attend the annual global uh, gathering around climate change. Not only did he not show up in person, he didn't even show up fucking virtually. Was he could, that was totally... I knew that was going to happen. You don't give a was shit. he invited in the first place? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he was. But that's for totally different reasons, right? Like, the, you, no one can come to an agreement on climate change because it's going to cost money to do so. It's going to cost companies to have to change over to a different power source. And, and it, it all winds up costing countries money where this, where this is, okay, how do we get money? So it's more important to figure out how to how to and get money from these companies. Wasn't there that an article transit. that came out the other day stating that pollution is bringing down the sperm count of men? So don't you think that they would want to maybe figure this problem out? Well, that, that's that, that's that's one a depopulation agenda, right? Right. Well, that's one reason, but I would say in the long term, it might cost them more if they don't address it. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Absolutely. If they don't address I'm it. Not... We're talking about food. Water, I, I I agree with you, Annette. I mean, I I. I I agree. I agree. That's probably why they're they don't feel the financial punishment yet. Although uh, it seems to be starting, some parts of the world are starting to feel it. So um, they're kicking the can down the road, and that's just money my... talks. I guess money talk. Okay, so forgive me while I eat an apple while we do this one. So the next one. And, and boy, you cannot go a single day without Facebook getting in the news. My goodness. Meta, meaning Facebook, announces new creator tools, including custom subscription links that use its native payment system to bypass Apple and Google's in-app payment cut. And this is a really interesting move. So it's, it shows a photo. Uh, Cheryl can update the top link, hopefully. And it says the change is specifically is specifically about circumventing Apple's 30% tax that we were just talking about this, which is just complete insanity. Facebook has found a way to skirt Apple's 30% tax on in-app transactions. On Wednesday, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook parent company Meta, announced that creators will soon be able to share custom web links, directing their fans to pay them for, for subscriptions using Facebook's native payments system. If a fan signs up through the link rather than Apple's in-app subscription, the creator will keep all the money minus taxes. Facebook subscription feature, which lets creators charge on a recurring basis for access to exclusive content, 
is available in 27 countries and accessible to creators who meet certain eligibility requirements. Facebook is operating in a gray zone under Apple's rules for the App Store. Exactly. Though a spokesperson said the social network believes its approach has always been allowed on iOS. The App Store currently forbids iOS apps from offering alternative payment options for purchasing digital goods. But in this case, it's the creator, not Facebook, the app developer that will be sending people to pay for a subscription on the web. That's kind of interesting. The spokesperson for so they allow you to make these custom URLs so that you enable people to pay you. Is this, so this is, is this like white what, label? what Fortnite did? Yeah, I, I'm not intimately Isn't familiar with. The, it. Yeah, I think it, that's it, what the what the reason sort of like they like like Epic should have done this exact thing so that people wouldn't have to pay in the app store for, you know, you, Fortnite, pay on the Fortnite app for purchases. They could literally just go to the URL to their to their Epic account and pay that. Pay for whatever yeah. they needed in the game. But what? But what they're that—that's the illegal part, right? And then they wound up fixing it, and, and Apple won't bring uh, Fortnite back on. Right. That's but but what Tyler is saying is that it doesn't. This is not Facebook or Meta that's going to be collecting the money. That it's going to be this creator collecting the money. So it technically bypasses uh, Facebook as a company and. Apple shouldn't have any recourse against Facebook because it's not Facebook, it's the developer, right? Is that what that... Well, here's why, here's why this is so that. important. is because the metaverse, as he said in the metaverse event that we all live stream together, is going to be a whole lot about transactions. And so to allow that ecosystem to happen without Apple getting a 30% cut of every, <laughs> that's going to be interesting in Apple's version of the metaverse. Is every transaction going to be a 30% tax to Apple? Holy bejesus. Well, we know that this is, it's an antiquated system. It needs to change like immediately because people paying 30% or, you know, developers paying 30% to Apple, it's, it's winding up closing small developments, like only the larger companies can sustain it even though they're giving anyone who sells less than a million dollars i think only has to pay 15 percent but once you hit over a million dollars in sale you jump up to that 30 percent 30 million is three hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars. it's a tremendous amount of money to pay what do you want there's not enough money left over to run the organization after that so that's why so many small developers can't make it on there they're developing in webgl and and trying to find alternative ways to to uh, monetize instead of going through an app store. It just doesn't make sense. Apple cannot sustain this 30% charge. They're going to need to come up with something that's more realistic. And like you said earlier, 10%, 15%, that's more realistic. 30% is just, it's like raping and pillaging hmm. people. So the next one, the next paragraph says, in addition to not collecting a cut of the subscription transactions until at least 2023, Facebook will start paying creators a bonus of between $5 and $20 for every new subscriber they add. That totally Tyler, slipped. did they yeah. say what and how much of a percentage they're going to start taking in 2023? Nope. Yeah, see, that's how they get you. It's like, here's the free subscription. You're right. And then like, here, you get it for an, a month and then they pile on the fees. Yeah, build, build out the, net, the graph, the social graph. 
and now we've got all the graph and the data and now you you oh you oh you want to send uh, a post and you want to all of your people that we encourage you to of your followers to work hard to build you now you want to reach them oh now you got to pay for that you're right that it, they already pulled this did this rug pull on the whole world at least once and Tight. you're right you're going to build up this following in facebook and they're going to pay you to build it five dollars to twenty dollars for every new subscriber however it's very plausible based on the history of facebook that after 2023 they'll be charging you to send you know they now you've got this Oh, you want to reach those subscribers that we, you know, now it's time to pay the piper. It's like, right. And they're going to yeah. get their money back like two, three, four fold because we're, they're going to, everybody is going to be beholden to Facebook. So diversify everybody. Yeah. They've been yeah, really, was... they've been very good at making it difficult for you to export your subscribers, so to speak. Sorry, go ahead, David. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. No, it's, you know, his for a number of years now, you know, developers have had to think about a Facebook plus strategy. Like you need to play in the big playpen, but it's, it's, there's a bunch of issues related to that. So this, this whole transition that's going on is really important. I think if I thought I understood what you described was in the article is almost like this nested publishing kind of how do the fees go up through a nested uh, pub publisher. If it, we're talking about, developers going through Facebook that's going through Apple and that's that's going to be that's a big thing to shake out I just, it's it's uh the challenge the number the first challenge is discovery when you're a developer how are people finding you all the other no other challenge matters until you resolve that that's why um in games and things the, the advertising services have been really helpful for discovery purposes and Hang that's on. Hang on. I just noticed I just noticed in this article it does say and it's worth noting just in fairness starting in December Facebook creators will be able to download the emails of their subscribers directly from the company. I can't but, believe I'm, But really that not. leads to a whole nother issue where people are going to scrape emails from their Facebook subscribers and add them to their email newsletter list and then they're going to get in trouble because those people didn't sign up for it. So that's a whole nother issue. Unless, yeah, so long as you unless, unless you make it abundantly clear when they subscribe to your Facebook thing that you have the right to move them to another platform. Change the terms and conditions. Right. Yep. If you're if you're able to have custom terms and conditions. Yeah. Or you could have what's called a, a double opt-in where everyone who, as soon as they sign up, you send them a, a thank you letter that says, by the way, uh, by you know, try and get them to click something else that gives you the the double opt in, as it's called. By the way, a friend of mine, Ryan, um, God damn, what's Ryan's last name? Uh, owns the patent on double the double opt in, and he he has made millions of dollars enforcing that on all kinds of products and services. Um, anywho, that's amazing. Yeah. You've so, got to be pretty clever to do that, Tyler. Can I just jump in to add a little mm -hmm. bit about what you were saying earlier on regarding, isn't it odd that um, it takes taxation to bring the world together to talk about a solution? And it seems that even in this last conversation about Facebook, it's all about money talking, you know, for all the argumentation about how we're going to progress the world or, or advertising for Facebook or, or any of that. It's money talks. 
in fact, in, in the whole COP26 thing, haven't they been saying that um, uh, it really is about the lobby, the lobbying aspects uh, and the interests, the vested interests of big business and corporates and that's been holding things back in taxation, in, 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 in climate change and all of those things. And even in dealing with the complaints about Facebook, you know, vested interests have such a lot of power, but money talks in the end. And perhaps this is the time where the little guy on the street is finally going to have some sort of leverage in change happening and maybe the governments have finally understood that it's through an international taxation system for corporations that countries can get back some of the money that they feel they're due and actually would go quite well in balancing some of the deficits they all have so money talks vested interests and big business lobbying i think that's really rather rather a shame for our world that we can't you know get it all together and do things properly so what I'm hearing is we have to throw Facebook into the Boston Harbor. That's what I'm hearing. No, no I'm joking. <laughs> well, maybe all our consciences just need to stand up a little bit and say, hey, you know, um, the mom and pop businesses around the corner, the 15 percent rather than 30 percent. I mean, talk about greed, all the rest of it, you know, all of those things. If only we would stop being just quite so greedy. But the consumer doesn't feel that, right? Like we're paying $9.99 or $1.99, whatever it is, no matter what, we're not feeling that 30%. We're used to paying it. It's the it's the developers that are responsible for paying it back to Apple you, or Google. You think they don't put the prices up? Petrol prices at the gas pump? Uh, supermarket prices? Absolutely, but, but right. you, you think that if it goes from 30% to 10% that the prices are gonna drop? No way. No, no. Here we go again. Vested interest and money. Money begets money. But at the end of the day, money does talk. And maybe that's we can get where, where we can get our leverage. Okay, so the next article is that the FCC approves Boeing's application to deploy and operate satellites providing broadband Internet to U.S. consumers and businesses. So we've got another Starlink competitor in the name of Boeing. And for those, I assume everyone knows, Boeing's one of America's biggest kind of uh, airplane. Uh, aerospace. Aerospace, the, thank you. In the world. Well, yeah. they an Airbus, but yeah. yeah. Boeing has secured FCC approval to deploy the, and operate. Yeah, so it's theirs. A satellite internet system capable of beaming high-speed broadband to U.S. consumers and businesses on Wednesday the U.S. regulator signed off on Boeing's application for the V-Band Constellation satellite system, which the company originally filed back in 2017. However, the scope of Boeing's system is smaller than SpaceX's Starlink, which currently operates over 1,700 satellites in orbit. Boeing's application calls for sending up 132 low-Earth orbit satellites and another 15 non-geostationary satellites. In contrast, SpaceX wants... Uh, wants Starlink to one day span 30,000 satellites. The low Earth orbiting satellites from Boeing will also operate at an orbit of 656 miles, which is about 300 miles higher than SpaceX Starlink constellation. Meanwhile, the non-geostationary satellites from Boeing will circle the planet at a distance around 17,000 miles. Boeing didn't immediately respond to the request for comment, making it unclear when the satellite broadband system will be will launch. 
but in 2019, the company introduced the 702X satellite, which is capable of low Earth orbit and can supply internet connectivity. More than 50 have been launched to date, Boeing says. The FCC also notes, grant of this application will enable Boeing to provide bandwidth and communication services to residential, commercial, institutional, governmental, and professional users in the United States and globally. Are there, is there, was there a category that wasn't covered in residential, commercial, institutional, governmental, and professional? Yeah, I'm, I'm, there's going to be a lot of satellites. It's going to be a challenge for space. There's already a lot, right, Evan? <laughs> and for um, astronomy. It's really going to make some, uh, you know, astronomy a challenge with all the light pollution, but it's going to happen. So SpaceX, be... SpaceX itself has raised concerns about Boeing's satellite internet system causing radio interference. However, the FCC dismissed the concerns and instead mandated the companies coordinate in good faith to eliminate potential interference problems. There you go. So the next one is that uh, female-founded startups raised a record $40.4 billion across 2,661 VC deals in the first three quarters of 2021. With the value of exits reaching 59 billion that means uh, acquisitions or ipos basically the pandemic took a toll on female founders in 2020 funding of the companies fell three percent even in a bullish startup climate that saw overall venture funding rise by 16 percent. but 2021 seems to uh, be a record year and it's only and we still got a couple more months to go Google is aggressively pursuing a major cloud computing contract with the Pentagon and also an AI contract with the Pentagon. That flash your mics if you're surprised by that. Yeah, exactly. Nobody. But yet uh, it says this is three years after Google employee outcry ended a similar work uh, called Project Maven with the Pentagon. Three years ago, the company walked away from a Defense Department project after employees objected to it. Let's find out exactly why. Three years after an employee revolt forced Google to abandon work on a Pentagon program that used AI, the company's aggressively pursuing a major contract to provide its technology to the military. The company's plan to land the potentially lucrative contract known as the Joint Warfighting Cloud Compatibility could raise a furor among its outspoken workforce and test the resolve of management to resist employee demands. In 2018, thousands of Google employees signed a letter protesting the company's involvement in Project Maven, a military program that uses AI to interpret video images and could be used to refine the targeting of drone strikes. Google management caved and agreed not to renew the contract once it expired. The outcry led Google to create guidelines for the ethical use of AI, which prohibit the use of its technology for weapons or surveillance, and hastened a shakeup of its cloud computing business. Now, as Google positions cloud computing as a key part of its future, the bid for the new Pentagon contract could test the boundaries of those AI principles, which have set it apart from other tech giants that routinely seek military and intelligence work. I'll add my own little point here between before the next paragraph, which is that 
uh, while it may be true that other tech giants routinely seek military and intelligence work, yeah, they all do. However, uh, they all, all the big ones, like we've seen headlines from Amazon, uh, IBM. Um, what what are the, another big one that I know that I've seen? Hmm? Where the which one? Tesla has huge government contracts with NASA and others. Yeah, but I, I was thinking of instances where employees are, oh, right. you know, uh, objecting to it. And the military's initiative, which aims to modernize the Pentagon's cloud technology and support the use of AI to gain an advantage on the battlefield, is a replacement for a contract with Microsoft that was canceled this summer amid a lengthy legal battle with Amazon. Google did not compete with against Microsoft for the contract after the uproar over Project Maven. The Pentagon's restart of its cloud computing project has given Google a chance to jump back into the bidding, and the company has raced to prepare a proposal to present to defense officials, according to four people familiar with the matter, who are not authorized to speak publicly. In September, Google's cloud unit made it a priority, declaring an emergency, quote-unquote, code yellow, an internal designation of importance that allowed the company to pull engineers off other assignments and focus them on the military project, two of those people said. On Tuesday, the Google Cloud Unit's chief executive, Thomas Kurian, met with the chief of staff of the Air Force and other top Pentagon officials to make the case for his for Google, two people said. Google, in a written statement, said it's... It is firmly committed to serving our public sector customers, including the Defense Department, and that it will evaluate any future bid opportunities. Accordingly, the contract replaces the now scrapped Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, or JEDI, the Pentagon Cloud Computing Contract that was estimated to be worth $10 billion over 10 years. The exact size of the new contract is unknown, although it's half the duration and will be awarded to more than one company, not a single provider like JEDI. It is unclear whether the work which would provide the Defense Department access to Google's cloud products would violate Google AI's principles, although the Defense Department has said the technology is expected to support the military in combat, but but Pentagon rules about outside access to sensitive or classified data could prevent Google from seeing exactly how its technology is being used. Right, so now here's where this gets very interesting, because Google knows... And let's talk about the Facebook headline from yesterday. These are both kind of related, where Google knows that this will likely uh, upset some Googlers who will do a petition, a letter, signature collection, maybe even a, a walkout and a boycott and a who knows. And so Google, knowing that, can now approach the pentagon and say hey here's what we're here's what here's what you want to do here's what we want to do great let's make sure our people back at google don't actually really know or even have access to know how you're using our technologies does that make sense uh mr department of defense please take care to make sure that uh we're going to sell you this gun okay and, you know, as far as we know, we're, you're going hunting, right? You're, you love hunting. You, you know, you, you like uh, catch, you know, you're going to go. There's a whole bunch of uh, 
you know, really bad animals out there that are really doing really bad things. And right. That's exactly what you're going to use this gun for. Right. Awesome. Fantastic. Love it. We love it. This is great. Uh, we're all about uh, sustainable hunting. And so have have a great time. Just just make sure we don't actually know what you're really going to use this gun for, because then our Googlers are going to, th- you know, do their signature collection. And th- then we're going to have to re insist that we uh, not license that gun to you next quarter. So there's there's a workaround. Another perspective is hybrid cloud. You know, back in the day, lots of these defense contractors, they would just, you know, they would buy all the gear from you, all the hardware, and they would hire, you know, somebody to just build something just for them. You know, it'd be behind a fence, you know. Now with cloud, it's a little bit different, but still there's different yeah. hardware. There are different architectures, though, that can that the thing is, they're trying to save money as well. So to the degree that they could have the processing on the public service. It, hey, darling. But this, it's a multifaceted orange already. story um, where the employees are a part of it. But, you know, we need security kind of full stop, you know, and so all these cloud companies are offering their their their, you know, they're bidding on it as well. So. It's um, there's certainly different ways to architect it. The they have they're the arms dealers, so they're not really given the gun per se, but they're given the uh, the you know the processing and the tools to build these 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 guns, if you will. Um, but there is a there's an important distinction. I think that the employees that have um, moral um, issues with it, that it will cultivate a, a more refined conversation. I think, um, but. Uh, yeah, they shouldn't. But but I think it's great that they're being transparent and, and actually <laughs> putting in the release that 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 information is going to stay private with with uh, with the, the, the with you know the Department of Defense or what have you because that that, that stuff shouldn't be you know accessible to any Google employees, right? So I'm glad that they just kind of put that little. But, but I mean, the cloud players work with every government around the world, and there are governments that are less nice, quote unquote, than ours. So oh, what? <laughs> every yeah. you know, second in you know world country if, if you will uh, around the world on who are doing some pretty nefarious things with the cloud come on the drc holy shit yeah um yeah to put it mildly there's some really crazy egregious shit going on in dark corners of the world that is using google cloud and google team members don't seem aware there there's an interesting sentence in this article where it says um, Google employees have continued to resist some work uh, pursued by the cloud unit. Uh, The company said it would not build custom AI software for the extraction of fossil fuels. There you go. That's some geek um, activism right there. Climate geek activism. That's a wild one. I had not there not heard of that. Google announced a set of ethical principles that would govern its use of AI. Google would not allow its AI to be used for weapons or surveillance, says Sundar Pichai, its chief executive, but would continue to accept military contracts for cybersecurity and search and rescue. Several months later, Google said it would not bid on the Jetty contract and whatever. Okay. Okay. 
uh, about this recent about this headline though there's a quote that says this demonstrates the fragility of google's commitment to staying outside the major merger that's happening between the dod and silicon valley Mm. The major, what, major merger, merger that's what? happening. Between, yeah. What? Who, <laughs> what? Never, Silicon Valley, just so everybody knows the history, you know, Silicon Valley was partially born by the World War II effort and the radio communications that came out of that. Stanford and, and then also Berkeley with the nuclear bomb uh, research that, was, that the government put into both, com- both uh, schools. So it, Silicon Valley was born as all technologies historically, largely out of defense. Sorry. It's a it's professor of anthropology uh, at Lancaster University. The, the person who made that quote. It's the, there's not a merger of. You sound tech geek. Yeah. So anyway, um, the next article is Meta will retain. Now here's this is why this is so interesting. Vox is the Vox headline today. Everyone remembers the headline yesterday that Facebook says it's going to, you know, kill its facial recognition or whatever. And I saw a whole bunch of people jumping up and down uh, without reading the article as we did. We deep dove on that because we were like, wait a minute, you're not actually hang on a second. We even knew before we even read it that something smelled fishy. Because nobody's going to build a pyramid of Giza and then tear it down. And sure enough, we came to a, a kind of uh, an agreed kind of understanding. And so did our friend Om Malik and others who are legit geeks that, you know, oh, well, they've got the they've trained the algorithms. They don't they, they no longer need the flashcards that train the algorithm. And this is a bit of a head fake. And sure enough, it worked. Boy, did that meme stuck. Oh, I saw a whole bunch of people tweeting about it yesterday without properly understanding that actually this isn't that big of a, this sounds good. They're creating a narrative and we even got into some conspiracy theories about why are they doing this, uh, perhaps to paint, you know, a healthy image and gain more trust as they go into the metaverse and because they know that some employee said something Three years ago at El Pollo Loco that the Wall Street Journal might find, you know, in, in the dumpster dives of, you know, uh, about facial how facial recognition is used at Facebook. So they're they're all preemptively shooting it in the foot. Anyway, now Vice apparently has read the article and found a geek who can translate it for them. And so then now they say, hey, wait a minute, here's the headline. Meta will retain some of its facial recognition systems, including its deep face model. Yeah, they said that in their blog post all about it. Did you not read it? That's what they said in their own word. Exactly what you just said right there. And plans to incorporate biometrics into its metaverse products. Yep. It pretty made that pretty, pretty clear, too. Um. So congrats, Vox, on reading the actual post that you were regurgitating and, as usual, misconstruing. And now you actually understand what it's actually all about. And you're a little surprised. You got caught off guard. You you fell for the head fake, as most everybody did. Um, But I'm curious how, if they try and demonize them in, now that they've realized what they should have realized, 
Facebook says it will stop using facial recognition for photo tagging. In a Monday blog post, Meta, the social network's new parent company, announced that the platform will delete the facial templates of more than a billion people and shut off its facial recognition software, which uses an algorithm to identify people in photos they upload to Facebook. This decision represents a major step for the movement against facial recognition, which experts and activists have warned is plagued by bias and privacy problems. But Meta's announcement comes with a couple of big caveats. Yep. <laughs> While Meta says that <laughs> facial recognition isn't a feature on Instagram and its portal devices, the company's new commitment doesn't apply to its Metaverse products, Meta spokesperson Jason Gross told Recode. In fact, Meta is already exploring ways to incorporate biometrics into its emerging Metaverse business, which aims to build a virtual internet-based simulation where people can interact as avatars. Meta is also keeping DeepFace, the sophisticated algorithm that powers its photo-tagging facial recognition feature. Yep. Yeah. All you had to do was read the announcement from the source, which you did, but you didn't understand it because you don't understand technology. They weren't really trying to hide it if you actually took the time to read it. Um, so not not trying to hide it, Tyler, but definitely not leading with it. I.e., true. It takes the inquiring mind to, to go into it. Hence true. why, you know, you need to do some work on these headlines. Yeah. I.e., the purpose of this room. Yep. And interestingly, in this Vox article from Recode, it shows the image that we talked about. This is the image, uh, one of the most important images in, in the past many weeks, uh, which is the, this, the moment in the Facebook live stream that we watched you know, a week or so ago, where they say, okay, and now to give you a glimpse of what the metaverse uh, is you know avatars are really going to look like the cutting edge of what they look like. Let's hand it over to Sanjay or whatever his name was. I can't recall his name. He was an Indian dude. And JT, you remember this, right? They cut over to him. He's standing. Yep. And he's talking to the camera like a normal human. And he's like, "Hi, I'm Sanjay, and I'm going to tell you about how avatars are going to look. And actually, you're looking at one right now. This isn't actually me. This is an actual video. This is a digital representation of me that looks exactly like me, and it looks so good. It was amazing yeah, that you thought cool. it was video. It's not, and it was amazing. And that there's a the 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 head of this article. Well, you can see it right above my head. Look at look at the photo." In this pinned tweet here in club in Clubhouse, you can see the guy standing there, and that was a, that's a screenshot from that moment of that live stream that everyone was said, "Holy shit! Facebook has totally lifelike looking avatars, like fully legit for real. Like you just killed the travel industry. There will be no need for business travel if that picks up the way that it should." So, um, and that's important to this article in a very fundamental way that even Rico doesn't realize. And they even used that photo. They don't mention it in the article. Why this is so important is because if that avatar is that real in the metaverse, which they already have a work, we have that working in a lab. They showed it to us. Then you are going to need absolute, incredibly foolproof uh, identity verification. Because avatars are just digital, like Dr. Fran has one right now. And that's a very unphotorealistic one, right? That's a very Disney cartoonish one, right? Now, Disney cartoonish one, if I saw a Disney cartoon of Joe Biden, I don't mistake it for Joe Biden. 
if you have an incredibly photorealistic one of Joe Biden, I'm going to think, oh, that's Joe Biden. And not it's not even an image. It's a walking, moving, talking deepfake of Joe Biden. And it's incredibly important that only Joe Biden has access to that avatar in Facebook's metaverse. So they're going to need incredible stringent identity verification to use at these lifelike avatars so that people can't pretend to be you and you can't pretend to be Joe Biden and everything else. So, of course, Facebook's going to need biometric identity uh, in the metaverse. Absolutely. And they need the best. They need incredibly good biometric identity in the metaverse. It's, it's, it would be an, an absolute dystopian nightmare beyond belief if they didn't. That and that is a humongous point that people need to completely swallow. If we are seeking a world where there is you know, accurate, authenticated representation in the metaverse, which is a good thing, full stop there's going to be a little cost on the privacy side, right? but it will open a door of, of virtual realism yep. <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, right? Where you're not getting duped because this deep fake is no joke. This deep fake, its effect on elections, its effect on so many different aspects of how we live and work is a, is a rising evil that needs to be squashed. You can rent your sleeve or your avatar. <laughs> it will be amazing. <laughs> But I thought the uh, the avatars had uh, watermarks, or at least that can be implemented to help with some of this. They should. They should. Kai Fili was talking about putting a blockchain watermark that was that would be like around uh, 2040. So, um, yeah, make no mistake, they're going to have <laughs> very legit biometric stuff in the metaverse. They have to. So. The next Tyler, one. This is yeah. to, remember back in May we would um, we we joked about you know the golden age of verification have only has only just begun. Yeah. I mean this is a great extension of like we talked about verification on the platforms like Twitter etc. And then this is just a step further. I.e. like uh, Jean Pierre's comment on like the blockchain verification. On it. It's going to be you know that needs to get right before wide scale adoption happens, huh? See, I'm checking all the tweets of people commenting on this one. Okay. Uh, next one, U.S.-based game publisher Developer Digital raises uh, $261 million in a London IPO at a valuation of $950 million. Klarna acquires Price Runner, a product and price comparison service, for $124 million as it looks to strengthen its buy now, pay later service. Indeed, Klarna is going for a big move Um trying to expand in all kinds of interesting directions. That's three acquisitions in like six weeks. Cloudbeds, which makes management software for the hospitality industry, raises 150 million led by SoftBank, bringing total funding to 250 million. And what it does is allows resorts or hotels to list or even a single person with a couple of Airbnbs to list their stuff on booking.com and hotels.com and orbits.com and Expedia.com and Travelocity and Airbnb and merge them all together. 
in one master dashboard essentially and give you a bunch of analytics and you set the price once and it updates it everywhere. You upload a photo, it puts it everywhere and it takes all the bookings from all of them and puts it on one big calendar. Anyway, Nintendo says it doesn't see component shortage recovering at the moment as it cuts Switch sales target from 25 million to 24 million for fiscal year 2021. PubNub, which provides messaging, presence, and other data-based APIs for apps, raises 65 million. Chinese self-driving startup Momenta raises 200 million, um, including from Jack Ma's uh, uh, Young Feng Capital. Mythical Games, which is developing a game platform with playable NFTs, raises 150 million. So the from Andreessen Horowitz at a 1.25 billion valuation, four months after raising 75 million dollars. This gamified M- NFT space is really st- starting to seem like it's uh, might be onto something. The combination of e-commerce and video games seems to really be tickling folks and it brushes right up against the metaverse i mean it's like at this point it's it starts blurring the lines between um and and making it more nebulous concept of what is the metaverse like you're doing commerce in a game does that game overlap with other games if the assumption is if the characters in the game are nft characters that you can buy and trade Will they be exportable to other game platforms? Can I take this character into a whole other game? That would be amazing. That would be holy, holy bonkers amazing. I'm not aware that that's ever happened before. There's plenty talk about, oh, if you buy a pair of Gucci shoes in the Facebook Metaverse app, you'll be able to take it over to the Apple Metaverse app and your Gucci shoes will transition with, with you or your Nikes. Nike just announced they're doing shoes as NFTs for the Metaverse but an actual entire character? And can I buy... Yeah. Yeah, there's a game... Well, there's Manticore exists, and it's already allowing you to do that. So people are building different games, but then there's also like this this avatar that you can run around in different game environments. And and it's built by by just, you know, some old-school gamers that really know how to build games. So if people want to check out what that looks and feels like, that's, that's certainly out there. But, you know, the games... The whole game, the, the traditional gaming industry, a lot of people in games are starting to really dive into the NFT um, for gaming uh, space. So there's a whole bunch of innovation, right? It's a, it's a, there's, a, there's a tremendous amount of innovation going on right now with regards to traditional game developers uh, you know, playing around with, with the NFT since the NFT is kind of ready to go now. So this is actually one of the things that I'm working on, interoperability uh, with NFTs. And um, right now it's basically just a creator being able to license with a platform where you'd be able to use that creation within a platform in order for you to pull an item out of an existing platform and use it somewhere else. There would need to be some sort of like licensing agreement between the, the entities in order for that to work because you can't just use someone else's NFT without having the proper licensing agreements in place. Okay. So Andreessen Horowitz wrote a post about why they invested in this company. 
And they say NFTs have already begun reshaping the internet and those are and those with rare properties are starting to illuminate the composability and functionality that's central to Web3, as it's being called. Um, a new generation of products is reaching hundreds of millions of people and molding an internet that frees users and creators from intrusive, extractive, centralized intermediaries. The most exciting example of this is the breakout success of play-to-earn games, P2E games. And that is a word and a phrase to remember. You heard it here maybe first, unless you're a legit hardcore NFT or gamer. Play-to-earn, this is what I'm talking about, this monetization of gaming, which is investors are... This is one of the... If you go out to dinner with some hot VCs, this word is going to come up. This is what they're... uh, foaming at the mouth about which allows game creators and players to share in the value generated when more people participate historically crypto was crypto has favored technical minds and as a result appealed to a smaller user base but that's changing we're seeing the creative floodgates in crypto gaming open up as studios apply their talents to craft beautiful compelling games that bring play to earn concepts and playable NFTs to the mainstream. Among the teams building in this brave new world, Mythical Games stands out as a seminal company that combines substantial expertise in game design with a crypto-native mastery of Web3 components to create groundbreaking experiences. Mythical Games is a next-generation gaming technology studio focused on bringing player-owned economies mainstream via a suite of tools that can be used to create blockchain-supported AAA games. Blanco's Block Party, the first game built on the mythical platform, is an online multiplayer world where players can collect, customize, and trade digital vinyl NFT toys called Blanco's, the game which entered early access uh, in June of 2021, found a substantial audience that has purchased hundreds of thousands of mythical playable NFTs and attracted influential brand partners such as Burberry and Deadmau5 co-founders. John, Jamie, and Rudy have built a seasonal, a seasoned team with a wealth of experience spanning AAA game studios and pioneering crypto companies. They also exemplify another accelerating trend in crypto today, best-in-class teams who are cracking the code on introducing crypto to mass cult, mass audience. We could not be more excited to partner with them on the road ahead as they prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that games built for Web3 are the future welcome mythical games. And... That what you're what you're hearing is the sound of investors running to find other companies like this and invest in them. Tyler, is it is it kind of similar? Well, I don't know the gaming space in detail, but about social commerce and influencers and yeah, it's you know it's it, social commerce and games. It's a hybrid hmm. of NFT, social commerce, and games. That's kind of the most succinct way I could express it. Yeah, Historically, so like, go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, like the, the platforms like Twitch, where where you would um, my my sons would watch other people play, like people who watch people who are really good at the game, and then then they're they're kind of the influencers that are then sparking the kind of movements of crypto, and then I think this whole uh, secondary theme as well. The second point I want to make is this whole theme of crypto becoming pervasive. You know, the whole Burger King advert or thing that happened trying to make it a bit more mainstream i know it wasn't like 
the headline made it sound as if it was um you know giving away loads of bitcoins but the so what is like i think this is really interesting guys where we're saying like um the the crypto the social commerce and these gaming things all you know us finding our way through what these definitions mean metaverse 3.0 yeah I so check that. so check this out imagine a game where i'm looking at their website right now imagine normally in a game you might be let's for the sake of simplicity imagine a world war ii reenactment game and imagine there actually is a limited number of tanks and airplanes and guns in this game and they're on the blockchain as nfts and if you want your side to win well you can buy more machine guns or you can make them and you need to go buy uh, some iron or steel and build a little factory and make the guns and you can start selling them and making actual money to other players who actually need them. And the guns get destroyed as part of the gameplay. And now you're creating actual game economies and the players can earn. That's why it's called play to earn. That's the whole the whole category is called P2E, play to earn. Yeah, it's and the, all about the creator, creator's economy right now. And it, right. It's, um, right. I, I can dive into it if you want. Yeah, but normally yeah. games, you spend money to get a virtual object that can be duplicated endlessly. You use it. You buy a fishing rod or something in some game or whatever. And it's a digital fishing rod and it's not on the blockchain and you use it and you, or you buy some health points and those expire. You know, you can buy more health, you can buy more hearts or strength or whatever. But um, this is, you can, in this case, you can buy it and resell it. And you might be able to resell it for more than you paid for it if the, if the overall supply goes down around you. You bought a bunch of really nice artillery then nobody, and you cornered the market and nobody else has it and they need it. And, and or you find a way to also manufacture something similar like it and people are willing to buy it and blah, 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 blah. Um, you also have the history with it, right? Like, so if a famous um, streamer has owned it in the past, then it brings up the value of the asset. There's a whole, have, bunch, there, it, there's a whole tremendous amount that's, that's behind it. And it, it eliminates developers for, from having to have uh, people on staff to create all of these things. All we have to do is create the tools for the players right. to create it. And right. then we create, and then we get the residual income off of it um, because we're still earning off of what they've created because it's been created within our own game. It, it's a, it's a whole different business model right now. Yeah. You're creating a, a micro world with an actual economy. It's, and it's getting easier and easier to do that. It's, it's a wild concept play to earn. It's a huge, huge concept. It's a total, game changer concept the the biggest part of it hasn't been covered yet though the play to earn so so everything that's been described has been done in the gaming space for years yes but what's new what's new is the play to earn and re yeah. well yeah. well yeah yeah it, 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 blockchain cleans up some of the cybersecurity issues and and other stuff it it opens up lots of other things but in real life is what you need to append to play to earn so in the philippines as covid was raging there was, and I've got, you know, half a cup of coffee, morning recollection challenges at the moment. But there's a, there's a, the, the, the first game to make, to, to make over a billion dollars or to, 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 to cultivate a billion dollars of, of earning uh, 
has been uh, was started in the Philippines as people were struggling to to buy food, right? So they would play this game and they would do activities that was uh, <clears throat> they were able to exchange it back for real world money, and it got it, it grew so grew so popular that uh, people were making more money playing to earn in this game to spend in real life than they were with their other jobs that they had been juggling. And sorry, but due to the coffee thing, Annette, do you can you uh, add more color to, to that phenom? Amazing. Yeah, so now the, one, of the, one of the issues that they're finding there is that people don't want to actually go back to work because they can make what, they're, what they've made in a week, they could make in a day now, right, or even more so. Um, but, but then the, on the flip side, the concern is that what happens when this just disappears, right? And I, I don't think it's necessarily going to disappear overnight, not at this point, and unless something in the crypto and the blockchain changes. Um, but that, that is the bigger concern because now they've become more like day traders, right? Like they're, they have to be in this game, Make, making things, trading things, selling things in order to continue to, to make money. Um, and what happens if that crashes or that disappears or it's, the market becomes flooded? Um, you know, so, so there's, there's a lot that the developers need to, to keep in mind to ensure that it doesn't explode, right? With- 978? Four, five, five. No limits the downward down age on this because... We can't hear you, Francine. All right. Try it again. We hear Are they birds. Gonna lower the... yeah. yeah, I hear birds. Okay, good. So nice. I'm back. Um, are they going to lower the age limit or raise the age limit for this? Because I can see uh, putting 12-year-olds in the armaments business. It's <laughs> a good question. I mean, it, you, there there is no age limit to it right now. If you Well, I not... mean, the interesting thing is that, you know, I have a 12-year-old grandson who plays um, Minecraft, you know, and Fortnite. And, and if, if, the models for those were changed to play to earn, you know, kids his age would be millionaire. Well, Fortnite does have a play to earn strategy within, you know, if, if they, if you enter into competitions, um, it's there, you just have to be really good in order to get the invitation in order to be, to play in those competitions. So that there are other types of play to earn, but this is a totally different type of, of play to, play to earn has been around for a while, but this is completely different because, um, like David mentioned, it's it can be used on the blockchain. You get a, you get around a lot of the other issues. You can actually pull money out of the game, which you typically couldn't do in the past. You would just have the assets within the game, or in in a case like Fortnite, where you're where you're playing in um, a competition, a they actually pay yeah. you. Yeah, in a tournament, exactly. Then they. How is this different from Roblox today? Because you know my niece loves Roblox, and she spent a hundred dollars on my credit card. Right. It's not it's not actually different knowledge. than Roblox, because the only difference is that in Roblox, you can't I'm not sure if they've created it, created it yet because I I haven't played Roblox in a while. But um, 
you, you know, you can create all of these assets, but I don't know if you can if you can just exchange them or actually sell them yet in the marketplace. I think you can. Yeah, yeah them. you have to. Yeah. You have to be able to take them back out for fiat, I guess, at the end of the day. That's key. And that's what yes. and that's what the NFTs allow for. Right. That's what crypto and NFTs allow. for. Well, back in the day it was eBay. People were selling character assets on these big MMOs. Uh, they would they would earn them and then sell them on eBay. There was a cybersecurity company that I was working with and helping a number of years ago and Electronic Arts with FIFA had massive, massive issues with regards to uh, bots programmatically going in and screwing up with their economy. So, yeah, no, the, the, the blockchain is going to help a lot um, within the, 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 on the, some of these problems that have been inherent in, uh, in a lot of these games. Next up yes. here. Go ahead. I was going to mention real briefly that my, some friends of mine in New Orleans um, just sold their company uh, called Turbo Squid, which was started about 20 years ago, just what the market David was talking about with um, with some of the assets, some of the digital assets um, that they basically made their own eBay for digital assets. But then um, they just they just exited about six months ago. Okay. Next up. Um, Google strikes a cloud deal with the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, where people uh, trade futures on commodities, essentially, um, and invests $1 billion in the futures exchange. What an interesting deal. So they get the CME as a cloud customer, which brings a lot of additional cachet and credibility validation to Google's cloud for the the major financial industry if they decide to go cloud and and yet they invest a billion into the client that's a really interesting deal I've not seen a deal like that in in the cloud biz yet I, I imagine there are some I'm just not aware of any the the next one is Sama which provides data to train AI models raises 70 million dollars GitHub's CEO is stepping down on November 15th. And the chief product officer, Thomas Domka, will uh, take over as CEO. Bloomberg has sources that say that Mashiyoshi-san, who nobody in Japan needs any introduction to, and we mention him very often here in this room. He's one of the most important names in tech, period. Um, along with Bill Gates, you know, and, and the Google founders and Mark Zuckerberg, perhaps, Perhaps even more so. He he's the 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 name behind SoftBank, and he's uh, in he's Japan. He's in Japan. Um, he's totally he's a real visionary. He's one of the biggest investors in the world, as you know. If you read our headlines, like SoftBank is constantly in the headlines for investing in this, that, and everything else. Anyway, sources say that Mashiyoshi Sun's profit sharing plan for you know the SoftBank Vision Fund employees is contributing to a stream of defections because it is based primarily on seniority. Ever since billionaire investor Masayoshi-san set up the giant Vision Fund in 2017 to provide backing for technology startups, um, he struggled with how to compensate his partners. He still hasn't figured out how to keep them happy. Sun's company SoftBank is preparing to make the first distribution of profits to employees at the Vision Fund in December, according to people familiar with the matter. But the company's eccentric approach to compensation is contributing to a stream of defections, say the people who are asked 
not to be identified because the matter is private. Seven managing partners have left since March last year. And the only senior partner, Deep Nishar, will depart by year end. He didn't respond to a request for comment. Yeah, well, you know, they do things a little differently in Japan. <laughs> How would you describe SoftBank against its peers, you know, the big American and other VCs? Are they all very similar in the way they do, he, do business? Or are they SoftBank no. unique? In, in SoftBank's practice? unique. So the, the Silicon Valley, I mean, it kind of started out of Boston and, and Silicon Valley. And Silicon Valley built its own culture, which is quite homogenous generally. They kind of operate like a flock of birds or sheep or what have you. And they feel like they've carved out their way of doing things, which is spreading globally. SoftBank's born out of Japan. Even though Masa went to UC Berkeley as a kid, he went back home and his it, things really started getting excited, you know, when he bought Vodafone and then needed a phone to sell. And he knew that Apple was working on a phone and he went to Steve Jobs and he said, Steve, I know you're working on a phone. I want to be your exclusive seller for Japan, if not Asia. And I don't care what it looks like. I know you're a genius. I know it's going to be genius. I'm willing to bet my entire company on it right now. Shake my hand right now and tell me that I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'll order as many as you need me to order to make it worth your while. But I want to be the exclusive seller of iPhones. You know, it was at least Japan. It was, I imagine, even beyond Japan. And Steve was so flattered and he had admired Masayoshi san. So he said, sure. Okay, you got it. You're the first to even know, come to me and flew, flew here to my office to insist on this deal. I, and he was kind of um, flattered. And so he did that. And that was that turned into just an incredible fortune for SoftBank. And um, as you can imagine, imagine being the only iPhone seller in Japan. And it turns out that the Japanese folks who thought Japanese phones were so much better than American phones. I was living there at the time. I can tell you <laughs> unquestionably, they had video phones. We didn't even have camp. We didn't even have still image phones yet. And they had video cameras and doing video calls. We couldn't even send photos to each other. They were watching TV on their phones. We still couldn't even send a photo. To we didn't even have a screen on our phones yet. Yeah, those were the days. Yeah, Docomo. The, the the Docomo phones, the NTT Docomo phones, it was it was unbelievable. I, I felt like I was living in the goddamn future. And the, the crazy thing was they were giving them away for a penny. Yes. It was bizarre. Anyway, so Japan thought, oh, we're the future, baby. Like, we're killing America on the, you know, we're just so far ahead with our phones. And they're, you know, starting the future of the Internet on their phones. They're playing games on their phones. And that, we didn't even have apps for our phones yet in America. We didn't even have screens on the phones. So when Masa went to Apple and said, hey, I know you're going to make a phone better than the Japanese phones in your America. Because the Japanese were like, America is never going to catch up to us. They're never going to be able to make a phone like ours. And they, there was a good reason for them to think that. They were that far ahead. And then here comes Apple and just boom, like fell like a comet out of the sky when it hit Japan. And the Japanese were like, holy shit, is this a huge evolutionary jump above even the Japanese phones? And sure enough, all the Japanese wanted to all buy the iPhone. 
and and kill the whole you know japanese phone industry well to, if you want to buy the iphone you got to switch from ntt or au or give me another one cheryl uh another one of the japanese carriers and move to softbank so you can see how incredibly lucrative it was not just being the seller but forcing people onto your carrier so anyway um moss is brilliant and that what's so different about him is is he's not price sensitive at all and <laughs> at all at all and he way overpays so he he when when people are fundraising he shows up and all the silicon valley investors are saying okay well we all think it's worth x and he comes in i'll give you you, you want you want to raise 100 million and you think your company's worth a billion no no i'm going to give you 300 million and your company's worth 3 billion and the entrepreneurs like oh hang on say what uh how how can you refuse that well that works as long as the company keeps growing and then you had, and that was working great. And SoftBank was killing it. And he was able, once he got the reputation for that, all the entrepreneurs start coming to him. And now he's kind of got pick of the litter. And it's making Silicon Valley a bit nervous. And then because he's got all the deal flow, all of the big money pockets, like the Saudi Arabia fund, the MBS, um, who's the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, gives him a billion dollars to play with. And he's just, you know, throwing money around, making it rain, doing pretty well generally. But then WeWork was one of his very heaviest bets because he, when Masa invests in stuff, he has what he calls a 300-year uh, horizon that he's looking at. And he thinks, uh, yeah, I think the future is people working in these uh, WeWork-like environments. He really firmly believed that. And he has good reason to believe that. I, I don't think he's entirely wrong still. I think WeWork went through a really rough patch. Um, but the fundamental premise that he was investing is, I, I think, has a lot of merit. And But anyway, he it got a little top-heavy because when it, time, it came time to meet reality, meaning the stock market, meaning an IPO, you now have to recalibrate for American investors' risk profiles which Moss's risk appetite far exceeds any American investor's risk profile with, with very few exceptions. So when it, when one of his unicorns has to go and IPO, the bankers are like, wait, 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 what are you saying? Your valuation is 70 billion, huh? What this? And then the whole, uh, reality distortion field has to recalibrate to fit with, you know, kind of the reality of, you know, the New York, exchanges and the bankers and and the retail investors and that's where things got real uncomfortable real quickly anywho the that's where he's unique that's what that's kind of his uniqueness and he, he's willing to make ridiculously big bets and and he's willing to take in, incredible losses that others uh, are not able to and uh I met with I, I even though I lived in Japan through the nineties, it wasn't until two thousand eight or nine that I had the chance to go spend a few days with him in his office. 
uh, with uh, Jason, who you can see in my bio, who invited me into Clubhouse when we, we were doing Mahalo, and he was interested in doing a joint venture with Mahalo for Asia to expand it into Asia. And Deutsche Bank uh, in, took us on a road show of Asia to meet all the top Asian unicorns in you know 10, 20 years ago, and all the Japanese unicorns, all the Korean unicorns, Chinese unicorns. And then we went to go meet Masayoshi-san, which was the real reason for the trip. And we go to his office. We go to the boardroom. We have lunch together. He loves it. Let's do it. Absolutely. Come back to our, cancel your flight home. We're going to work this deal out. Came back the next day. Unbeknownst to him, I spoke Japanese. <laughs> so we're in the meeting. He's talking with his team and I understand everything they're saying, but he doesn't know that I know what they're saying. So that gave it, that was an interesting dynamic. We could uh, include in the movie at some point, which came, gave us an asymmetrical advantage in those negotiations. But um, I, wish, I wish I could have clipped like five minutes of that uh, the last uh, audio, Tyler, because that was a master class in, uh, in, uh, <laughs> yeah, knowing language is a huge deal. Like, uh, it's surprising how often people don't think that you speak their language because you look differently. And so many times, like I myself speak Mandarin and a few other languages, and it's surprising how sometimes cavalier or unconscious people are with what they say and who's around just because of the way they look. No, importantly is if you know something, just keep low profile, keep quiet about it. You don't, don't show your, use, don't, use those as a, as a trump card. And don't speak in the elevator. <laughs> on the yes. way out of the building <laughs> or anywhere near the building and not in not in their driver that they you know prepared so, for so you when, when you first went to his office to meet him when he said yeah. bye bye to you and jason did he actually wait for you and look at you in the elevator wait for the door close and bow at you to say bye bye i don't remember if he did that i think he did the elevator was not far from his boardroom it was very close. You go up to the. It's, he's on the top floor of the Conrad Hotel, right near your house, Cheryl in Skiji. Oh yes, China Blue is there. My favorite restaurant. Yeah, there's a good restaurant there, and there's the park right right next to Skiji Fish Market. Yes, Hamali Q. My favorite. Yes, so he's in the Conrad Hotel on the top floor, That's and right. the you get out of the elevator, and all it is is a receptionist, and then meeting rooms, and the boardroom is overlooking the park, and um, and it's a beautiful boardroom with two huge TV monitors at the end of the boardroom. And he sits there. And the funny thing is, is, you know, he's one, he was the richest man in Japan and momentarily he was the richest man in the world during the nineties. And he, and everyone in Japan knows him. He's a big mega celebrity in Japan. And in, when he's sitting at the seat at the head of the boardroom table, he's got this little older pillow. That's not entirely clean. Like it's kind of this. But it's comfortable to him because of the way he sits in his chair. But it's kitanai, you know, in, we say in Japanese. Kitanai. And it's like not totally perfectly clean, but it's comfortable. It's his little pillow. And so I, the funny thing is, is I'm meeting my Japanese friends who I've known since I was 19. And, but now I'm, you know, in my 30s. And I'm like, you'll never guess who I had lunch with today. And they're like, who? I said, Masayoshi-san. And they're like, get the fuck out of here. Why are you meeting with Masayoshi-san? I said, well, that's why I'm here on this trip. It's like we came to him and they're like, no way. I said, yeah. And I go, I'll prove it to you. I said, he has this, you know, I was describing the little pillow that he has in the whole room and what we ate for lunch and blah, 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 blah. And uh, they were all laughing, but it's, um... anyway. So the next, let's get back into the articles. 
the next because I have an early wake up tomorrow, super early wake up. So we got to wrap in about 40 minutes. The the next one is U.S. sanctions for companies, including NSO Group, who is the maker of Pegasus and other spyware companies. That makes all the sense in the world. And kudos to the Biden administration for cracking down and putting sanctions on these um, cyber tools that can be used, you know, to disrupt uh, government uh, dealings and whatnot. Qualcomm has their Q4 uh, earnings report. They are up 43% year over year. Not a huge surprise. All the semiconductor companies, all the chip companies are having incredible incredible quarters. Uh, so their stock is up 5% as a result of the quarter earnings report. That's a pretty safe play. Uh, I don't know. That, well, I couldn't tell you. I, I can know. Here, let's find out. who's Who else is coming up on the quarter earnings reports? Today is Uber, Airbnb, and Square. Those are going to be hot. Although Square might not be hot because there was so much retail that was closed. Uh, but Square is so freaking hot. Um, Airbnb is likely to be hot in the next quarter because Airbnb just announced today, I saw a headline, that they're seeing unprecedented traffic right now which they might mention that at the end of their call. And it's statistically probably true. So they're probably going to have a record quarter in the next quarter. So if they mention that on their call, they'll have a really strong uplift. Like their guidance that they give will probably be, oh, we might have had a bad quarter due to COVID. However, mathematically, we are having the strongest week we've ever had in the company's history. And that might send the stock up. Um, So that might, yeah. If you're one to gamble on quarter earning reports, doing short-term trades. And then on November 8th, there's PayPal and Roblox. November 9th is Dash and Coin. And then on November 17th, you got NVIDIA and Cisco and Baidu, which is China's search engine and whatnot. Anyway, so yeah, you have Qualcomm did very well. All the chip companies will do well this quarter. Then there's an article from MIT, how U.S. agencies are preparing for a post-quantum cryptography against hackers who harvest sensitive data now for decryption in the future. Did I not say exactly this? Let me explain. Did I not say that the really scary scenario on our collective horizon is the idea that attackers are infiltrating our, our digital worlds, sucking up, um, leaving breadcrumbs, analyzing everything with the intention of uh, decrypting in the future. These are planned attacks. They're planning the bank robberies. And it's more than that. They've, they're already... I'm reading, AI, I'm reading AI 2041, and I think it might be chapter six of AI 2041 that talks about uh, how Bitcoin had been decrypted in the future. We lost you you again, Francine. So, but the, the article says from MIT Tech Review how U.S. agencies, yep, and we know who's telling them to get ready, um, are, and it says U.S. agencies are preparing for a post-quantum cryptography, meaning quantum computers are able to um, overpower 
cryptographic defenses. Most of your defenses of your uh, digital stuff is defended by cryptography. Well, that works fine in the age of traditional computing, but well, when you... Francine? Yeah. Okay, so AI 2041, that um, the book I'm reading now, chapter six talks about Bitcoin being decrypted in the future and and basically stolen and uh, the capability of people to decrypt the blockchain with quantum computers. Right. So, and that's the point is when we say cryptocurrencies, that means it's secured by cryptography. Well, a lot of stuff is secured by cryptography, but um, you can decrypt it if you have uh, a quantum computer. Quantum. Right. If you have a strong enough quantum computer, you can decrypt something that's been cryptographically secured. So it's like a map. Think of it as like a big code. I mean, the, the best historical example is the Turing machine uh, during World War II where they decrypted the Enigma, uh, which was how the Germans communicated. And the Germans had a piece of hardware that they used to decrypt the code. We didn't have that piece of hardware. Alan Turing, God bless him. What a, and there, I, is, what's, the, what's the movie? Somebody made a film about this about Alan Turing, and this is why a, the, the, the test of AI is called the Turing test. Alan Turing was the legit, absolute genius who made this machine, who basically ended World War II. World War II essentially ended because of a geek named Alan Turing, who made the Tur uh, uh, the, uh, the a machine. The Imitation Game, right? Huh? The movie The Imitation Game? Is that what it was called? Where it talks about his, he, he's homosexual and he had a, this love affair and it was a great movie anyway um i can't recall the name of it but whatever the movie is it's, it's a time piece imitation game imitation yes, game that right. sounds right yeah yeah the imitation game yeah great great movie for historical i the if you're a geek well, yeah you'll, you'll love it as if you love if you love geekery and history oh my god it's like a fantastic film uh, on a lot of levels anyway plus so, the actor who played dr strange is uh plays alan turing yeah. So anyway, um, that that's the whole game of cryptography where people are trying to secure codes and then people are trying to break the codes. And, that, and you know, the, you, when you have Bitcoins, you need them to be super, super, super crazy cryptographically secure. Well, quantum computing uh, poses a potential risk there. And, and Bitcoins is about the most secure thing you can think of at the moment all of your other stuff that you think is secure is far less secure than Bitcoins. But even uh, quantum computers even potentially pose a risk to Bitcoin. It's, it's absolutely a massive risk to, um, you know, everything less than Bitcoin. And so when, when the headline from MIT Tech Review says how U.S. agencies are preparing for a post-quantum cryptography, well, that's because they have to prepare for a post-quantum world. Because last week... China announced they have a crypto uh, or, or a quantum computer that's a hundred times better than Google's. That was the headline. Well, that you're you're essentially letting the cat out of the bag, saying you basically have a way to crack into all of our stuff. So the U.S. agencies are preparing for that new reality against attackers who 
harvest sensitive data now, today. Don't, don't lock it up. Because the way the game is played is, we've seen this many times, is the hackers come into your system, like your energy system or your food system. They get all of your important data and they lock it in a lockbox cryptographically. And they tell you, oh, if you want to unlock the box, you have to pay us to get all of your important data that runs your company back. So they, they encrypt your data and they're telling you if you, you need to pay us to decrypt it. So the headline says that the U.S. agencies are preparing against attackers who harvest sensitive data now for decryption in the future, or rather in, encryption in the future, meaning they're not well, actually. The, so, sorry, Tyler, there was actually a, a little detail there, because I think a few years ago, China intercepted a bunch of traffic, encrypted traffic. And so as these actors collect this kind of encrypted data, in the future, they may be able to decrypt some of these things. So any interception now, even if encrypted, is viable in the age of quantum decryption. Correct. And just final note about the lattice. There, there is a new kind of encryption, a lattice-based cryptography that is a little bit more robust against quantum encryption. So all is not lost yeah, necessarily. So there is one cryptocurrency there trying to be quantum proof in some sense. Correct. Thanks. Yeah, it's a cat and mouse you game. Should all, you should all read Kai Fu Lee's book, AI 2041, because it talks about all of these things and exactly how much quantum computing power we would need in order to to have uh, our cryptocurrency. Yeah, I mean, you know, the hackers will have quantum computers, but, you know, I guess um, the the people that um, encrypt then the different cryptocurrencies will have them also. So I don't think it will be very different from the stage we are in right now. Um, maybe we'll have uh, the scenario that governments will have their hands on quantum computing first will mean that all of our data and, you know, um, will be more open for different governments that purchase or are the first ones to acquire an actual useful quantum computer. I think that's a bigger threat that, for example, China or like a few com countries have first on a larger scale quantum computers to basically um, crack all of our information. I'm not sure how many people remember um, in the 1990s, there was gallium arsenide, which was then the um, you know future quantum computing platform. Uh, Stanford, Stanford University was doing a lot of research in this area. And my point being that, yes, quantum computing has a lot of potential, um, but there's also a lot of problems with it. It's unreliable now, it of course requires very special equipment and special conditions. So it remains to be seen if it's all that it's cracked up to be. No pun intended. So the, ne the next one is internal documents shed light on Facebook's holdout experiments where it withholds certain protections from a subset of users to see how they will react. It's not uncommon in the geek world. Where there's all kinds of tests going on constantly inside a big like social test? is it like a social test like hey we're gonna make your timeline look like shit so you're depressed and then we're gonna publish this study 
What's the what's the detail here? I'm not I'm not sure. The headline. It says, according to an internal report, Facebook has studied the impact of removing some protections against problematic content like clickbait and untrustworthy news from some users, but the results, at least in the report, were decidedly mixed. The report showed because they they the point is some changes to the algorithms they do based on assumptions where they say like, well, clearly we should remove fake news. Clearly we should remove uh, X, Y, or Z. We shouldn't even need to test that. Let's just go ahead and do it. And then they're like, you know what? Remember in the algorithm in the early days, we said, you know, we should just remove obviously fake news. Hey, you know, sometimes the, we, we guess wrong uh, when we look at the data. Well, let's go back and test that. Go ahead and fill somebody's feed with the full fire hose of the natural stream of fake news and let's see what happens and maybe they'll stop using facebook but maybe they'll use it more so the that's not an uncommon thing where you made changes based on assumptions without testing them and then you realize you go back and be like actually we need to test all those assumptions that we had in the early days so these the fact is until there's kind of a uh, a philosophy within uh, these, you know, user testing groups where it's like, until you've actually done the test, you you don't know. You just, you have to test everything. If, if there's no test, don't, there's no point in having human arguments or debates about this. And this happens a lot in Silicon Valley and these companies where they get very geeky and it's like, you either have data or you have nothing. Your opinions mean nothing. So we need to test it. So if you haven't tested it, Sorry, is this an example of un, like it's not informed consent though, right? Like it's not like the users know that this is happening. So I think that's also a little bit problematic with respect to trust going forward for Meta. Not really. These tests are it has nothing to do with Meta. Every company is doing this all the time on on everything. Like and a it, subset of users are being tested. Like oh, all the system. all the time, all the time. Lovely. What you're you're having certain features and um, tweaks to your experience that are you're part of a cohort, and those these things are being iterated. They're A B C D E F G tests going around the clock all the time on on all kinds of products on all the large apps that you use. That's a very common thing. Um, so the next. Article is whimsical, which makes tools for workplace collaboration raises thirty million. Um, Medallion, which helps healthcare providers automate administrative tasks, raises thirty million from Sequoia. Um, what else? Global VC funding of crypto and blockchain hit a record of six point five billion in Q through the past three months. Across 286 deals, U.S. startups raised $3 billion of that, followed by $1.5 billion from Asia. So the U.S. is about half of it. Asia is about a quarter of it. A look of the, at the booming market for bots that steal two-factor authentic, authentication codes, authentication codes uh, often using SMS services like Twilio to break into Coinbase, Amazon, PayPal, and other bank accounts. And 
Google's returning, Google News is returning to Spain, which we covered yesterday. And those are your big, boring headlines for today. Let me refresh the page. Google says it will let and, Android. Yep. Go ahead. Sorry, uh, just as an homage, I think uh, if Chris was here, I think he would have said, and this is why you have to have a burner phone yes. because the SMS is not necessarily secure. So Correct. N- nice ad. Nice ad. Yep. I- I'm still, I'm trying to get uh, Otter AI to clip out the audio clip so we can hear him say it himself going forward in my audio files. The, the Half hourly reminder to use yeah. the burner phone. I'll, a look at so there's a new article that just came out since we went through the top headlines a new one that's getting traction now that the west coast of america is waking up it says a look at match groups plans for tinder because they own tinder in fact they own all the dating apps and explore including an expansion of virtual goods that incentivize engagement and metaverse like dating platform so tinder is going to have virtual goods that you can Buy for virtual flowers, perhaps. Tinder has already undergone a big revamp with its recent launch of Explore, a new section inside the app that will enable more interactive experiences, including the second Swipe Night series, a real-time chat, interest-based matching, and more. Now, Parent Group Match is detailing its longer-term vision for Tinder and Explore, which will expand to include exclusive shared and live experiences and virtual goods-based economy. Did I not tell you that social commerce would even come to Tinder? And I, I, I heard some of you laugh when I said that. Yes, you laughed. I said social commerce is going to come to TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, of course, Twitter. I said Pinterest. It's now come to Pinterest. I even said even Tinder. And some of you laughed, admit it, when I said that. Guess what will be the top seller? Uh, I don't want to know, Cheryl. What? <laughs> I hope you mean flowers. I hope you uh, mean flowers, yeah. Cheryl. So, um, the, it says, the virtual goods-based economy supported by Tinder's new in-app currency, Tinder Coins. In addition, Match spoke today about its broader plans for a dating metaverse and avatar-based virtual experiences that may later roll out to apps across its portfolio, including Tinder. In terms of a virtual economy, the first phase of its development includes Tinder coins, which are already being tested in several markets, including a few countries in Europe. Next year, Tinder coins will become available to global users to make in-app purchases of Tinder a la carte products like Boost and Superlikes, tools aimed at helping online daters get more matches They'll also be used for new pay-as-you-go products that were previously only available with subscription, like the See Who Likes You feature, and they'll be used to incentivize certain behaviors on the app, like encouraging members to verify their profiles. Again, I got two predictions in one article. There we go. There's a first. (laughs) And verification. Yeah. And add videos to their bio, for example. Okay. Longer term, however, Tinder will evolve its app to include virtual goods and trading ecosystem, which is being planned for 2022 and beyond. The strategic initiative is detailed during Tinder's parent company Match Group's Q3 earnings, including its shareholder letter on its earnings call, blah, blah, blah. Okay. My I don't have much to read into that area, Tyler, but like the whole VR space, is there a whole 
do, do Tinder have the concept of uh, in in person like uh, like deal flow stuff within their model, and then also the VR stuff, or is that? It didn't I'm say. making this up. No, I love the yeah, idea. You, you can well, imagine, you, you can oh, imagine oh, them doing something like of that. Of course, I can. Well, it's an important question, honestly, because historically, dating websites were in your browser on your desktop. You know, Windows ninety five back in the day. You know, it was whatever the websites were called, and then came the iPhone, and those traditional legacy dating websites could not figure out how to make an app for the iPhone because of the smaller screen. And then Tinder came along and said, Sean Rad, who, by the way, is a dear friend of mine, uh, had the vision perfectly, nailed it. And she, by the way, Sean has popped here into tech news around the world a couple of times in the audience, and I didn't, in the early days, I think Cheryl might remember a couple of times. So is Daniel Eck, by the way. Anyway, um, so Sean has come to my event in Sweden multiple times. Um, and I got to tell a funny story about that because Sean is the co-founder of Tinder and was the CEO of Tinder for the majority of Tinder. Um, he had access to all of these amazing features. <laughs> he could instantly open the app in any city when he would visit me in Stockholm, find the most, the, the, the ladies who had been most swiped right on, meaning the most beautiful or swiped left. I forget which is beautiful and which is not. But anyway, he could easily see the most liked uh, ladies in all of a city and then start messaging them directly and saying, oh, by the way, I'm the CEO of Tinder. Would you want to have coffee or whatever? And it was like the most incredible. <laughs> it was just ridiculous to watch him use Tinder. Anyways, um, but he and uh, Brian, who was the chief product officer, who's also a friend of mine, even before he was at Tinder. And so was Sean Rad. We're all from Santa Monica. And Brian and Sean and I myself, and we've all known each other even before Tinder. So Brian was a product genius, by the way, and really made Tinder the in, in many ways the product success that it is. But the point is that it took reimagining a dating experience on a whole new platform, meaning the smartphone rather than the browser. And you can see with your eyes just how incredibly different Tinder was as an experience from, say, a traditional dating website, which looked like almost like a real estate website. Now, the point is, what does a new dating app look like in the metaverse? You have to totally reimagine it all over again. And Tinder might struggle to reimagine itself, just like the dating websites struggle to reimagine themselves on a mobile phone. It's almost a detriment that you have this legacy interface. You almost have an advantage having a completely clean slate and fresh eyes Approaching it with no baggage, if if that makes sense. So yeah, it makes, Tinder it makes complete sense. Tyler, yeah. just like after twenty years in consulting, the engagements that were the most difficult were those that were re-engineering, i.e., yes. taking the old business, trying to make a thousand cuts to change the thing, versus like the best ones were like the new stacks. We're just going to build a new bank on the side, and that thing's going to be on fire. I mean, right. the, that that point is really important, and it it's self limiting for the people involved in the in the startup or in the project because they just think within the old constraint, and it's right. just, yeah, very difficult. So it'll be interesting to see who makes dating work in the metaverse. It'll be huge. It'll be tremendous. It'll be phenomenally, ridiculously big. Uh, but 
it's not likely to be anything like Tinder where you're swiping left or right. I mean, that works great on the smartphone interface, but you don't have that in the metaverse. So you have to kind of approach it with virgin eyes. So, um, like a like Pornhub be better for it because it's already video and to make like augmented reality or even virtual reality version of dating would be way easier for them than Tinder. Hard to say. I will know when we see it. The weird thing was Tinder didn't even really break through. The smartphone had been out, you know, like 2007 was the launch of the iPhone, right? Tinder didn't start for a few years later. It took literally a few years to figure it out. So I believe it was 2012, believe it or not. So that's 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11. It took five years of having smartphone before Tinder came out. But it goes to show when you get the right interface, you know, boom. It, and it is. There's no denying. It's like Tinder nailed the interface for dating on a smartphone. Dating in the metaverse? We can't even pretend to have a clue yet. Avatar dating exists. Yeah, no doubt it does. Um, but I have to imagine that the there's going to be an, a really interesting complexity of how, I mean, it's already in Tinder and Instagram. It's so easy to manipulate images, and that's already an issue. Um, how to have kind of verified images that you can ha have some kind of believability, you know, that the person isn't, you know, hoodwinking you with their avatar or, you know, images or whatnot. Does it matter though? Because, you know, the porn industry is already uh, making a lot of different tools to have uh, long uh, distance um, relationships with like staff and that um, you can generate like vibration, all kinds of tactile uh, functions and combining that with an avatar, who cares anymore how people really look? Um, you know, people are already... Um, transitioning in that way i think yeah and then then you add the virtual currency and you can imagine what kind of services are going to be exchanged <laughs> sex and defense lead the way <laughs> yeah, dr dr friend that's not i mean she knows that's not a joke like that's a common trope in tech it's like the porn industry and the defense industry fund you know so much of the early stages of these developments in, in tech. It's just a reality, and it'll be true in VR as well. It already is. Tyler, what would be fun? I know that we do the startup um, rooms here, but what would be really fun would be like take a legacy business and um, one of these guys that they're looking for new ideas. It'd be real, really fun for this team to, to brainstorm just like we're doing now to help fuel their new uh, product roadmap. Just a thought. Yeah. Um. I'm just uh, messaging with Evan. And then, JT, you had a, a link just now about uh, VR with um, Facebook. JT? Everybody keeps disappearing. Oh, he just stepped. He was just here two minutes ago. He's on stage, mate. He was just here. Okay. Anyway. Uh, it, he, JT just found this one. It says Meta offered a glimpse into the XR R&D that's costing it billions. Um, and I will share it to the Twitter account, but it's 
you kind of have to see it to understand it as usual. Oh, and it's got the video of the guy who it looks so lifelike that you assume it's for real and then you find out it's not. So how do we get that? Here, I'll, I'll pin it to the top of the room. If you click on this article and you scroll down, to, oh, Clubhouse doesn't like this link for some reason. That sucks. That's I'd like to comment that there's enough um, sort of Match.com activity happening in the Clubhouse back channel already with, uh, or at least I am receiving um, dating spam from people who are new to Clubhouse who look at my profile and would love to get to know me because they think I'm so beautiful. And this is, there must be a, some <laughs> worldwide desire, you know, to couple up even with people you have absolutely no clue about. Yes, lots of back channel, just ignore, like what Dr. Francine said. So I got beautiful the Beautiful personality, Dr. Francine, if I can add that. <laughs> beautiful personality. Well, I, I don't even know if they know my personality, but every day I have a pages of requests. Yeah, let, let her to... try if you respond. If you don't respond, let her add you. Add, uh, let her follow you first. If you don't respond, I'm No, no, you. I understand. But right. I, I totally understand how not to encourage them. But what I want to know is, you know, when will they, Clubhouse, introduce a group delete feature? Because right now you have to group, you have to delete them one by one. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they miss, they, they, yeah. They said they. You're talking about functionality. So the I just tweet I, or I pinned to the top of the room, the Facebook's cutting edge demonstration of avatars in the metaverse. It's totally mind blowing if you haven't seen it. And we've now gone through the boring big headlines that we do every day. Now we get to get into some of the tweets with the 10 minutes we have left. Um, and the first one is from Katarina from Forbes about self-driving farm robot uses lasers to kill 100,000 weeds an hour. The nutrient content of our vegetables is down 40% over the last two decades and our soil health is suffering due to increased harsh herbicide use. So what if we could kill all of the weeds that are sharing the soil with our vegetables with lasers? It's no, happening. My would appreciate idea. that 100%. Absolutely nothing can go wrong with arming farmers with lasers <laughs> should make it look like the terminator paint it, you know the from cnn a drone and this is from vinay drone or vinay can you want to share this one while i find other tweets yeah sure so this I, is basically uh, cnn's reporting that uh, an investigation into a drone attack at a power station a year ago, it actually crashed on its way to the power station. The FBI and others have highlighted that as the first case of an unmanned drone being used to hit infrastructure. It failed, luckily, but it was on its way to hit a power, uh, I mean, sorry, 
uh, uh, a station in Pennsylvania. So Does it say, or have you got any information on how they know that it was a deliberate attack if it crashed? Uh, because they looked at, uh, I mean, the article kind of talks about the analysis that they've done on the drone, where it came from, and how it was configured. It was configured to cause the most amount of damage or something to that effect. It, it had That's Enola Gay. It had Enola Gay written on the side of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about it in the, the room several times. It's it's happening, and it's going to happen more and more and more. Yeah, but this was from June 2020, so it's just coming out now. So it's it's been going on, uh, I guess, just like how they've been stopping terrorist attacks. We never know how many they've stopped. This is an example of a drone attack that fortunately never actually ever happened, right? So, I suppose you want to keep the lid on a lot of these stories so as to dampen like the 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 efficacy of it. You don't really want the wider world. There's, there's a lot of bad actors out there and you don't want all of them to realize, holy shit, this is an attack vector. You want to keep yeah. on it as much as possible and that's going to become harder and harder now, I suppose. Yeah, and... and, and, and sorry, go ahead. Typical policy is to keep things under lid so that they can decrease mass chaos and then once they've got it under control, they report it out. So typically... The news will come out about six months to a year after the fact. And that's strategic for sure. Mm. So, Dr. Francine, let's talk about the Karma airdrop. Does the link at, yes. the, does the, link yes. at the top work? Uh, I believe it does. It yes. does, yeah. Yes. I mean, since I put it up there... And it's an airdrop for two karma coins and the proceeds of all of it is going to go to whatever we decide to set up to help Chris. And it can either be in, you know, cryptocurrency or in fiat, depending on how comfortable everybody is. But the real goal is to do something in memory of Chris and, um, and I was going to give the proceeds to my uh, karma coin to uh, the Startup Arizona Foundation, but I, I decided to switch to Chris because Chris's family is actually known to me more than uh, the Startup AZ community because I've been online for the last two years. So, so you know... I can't promise anything. If I say this is an investment, then it's a violation of the securities laws. So I can't tell you that it's going to go up. I can only tell you that it started at 59 cents and it's over $2. And, and that we might be able to at, at least make a gesture you know, because I believe the karma coin, the whole purpose of it is to recognize and encourage the good in the world. And that's why I started it. And that's why I wanted to continue in this, you know, stage of my life, hmm. which actually doesn't look that different from any other stage in my life. But thank you for giving me a chance to talk about well, we'll, it. Yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep this. This not a one time thing either. So we'll do it again. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that is a good idea, and you know, and we'll. What you do is you build a community with the karma coin of people with um, 
with shared interests. And I also run the Karma Club and it meets on Thursdays at 11 uh, a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, which is going to be God knows what next week, but I'll figure it out. And because we don't change and everyone else does. Um, But but next next week, not this week, but next week, we are going to do a room on entrepreneurs and their health and how to preserve it. Because Heyman and I have decided that this is a huge topic because Chris, unfortunately, is not the first entrepreneur to die young um, that I knew well. And there's a lot of uh, overwork and uh, work-life balance issues and stuff like that in the entrepreneurial community. There always has been. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've got 30 more minutes, right, Cheryl, actually, before the next event? Uh, Yes. Okay. Well, we've still got plenty of tweets to go through that people are tweeting in. Mm -hmm. And we've got a really fun one here that is there's no next event today tyler it's tomorrow oh it's tomorrow not today yeah oh i'm sorry okay okay. i was just clicking at the if you click on the title of the room you'll see the club and then the upcoming rooms and it said in 30 minutes but you're right it's for november 5th you're right we're just tomorrow okay so um the next one is a chance to play our favorite new show uh tech news jeopardy is everyone in for this? Nine, oh, nine, yes. nine cities. Yes. What are the nine cities that could be underwater by 2030? With sea levels rising worldwide, several major metro policies, metro policies, is, is that the plural of metropolises? Metropolises are at risk of being submerged. What cities are likely to be submerged? Barcelona. Bon- New York. Amsterdam, Bangkok, and Jakarta, New York, Miami, Venice. Yeah, Venice. I think definitely Venice. You got all of that right. All the suggestions at once. I think Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam because I remember reading about because they've got all of the stilted. That's one. Okay, you're out, Vinay. Really? Yeah. Tag Here's. I think Bangkok and Bangkok I and Philippines. Philippine, I would say. Okay, hang on. Philippines and New York for sure. Whoever uh, said New York is out. Me. Yay! You're you're out. You're out. You're out. Not me. Not Ouch. me. I Ouch. Okay. Ouch. I don't mean I to be. Okay, so number nine is Savannah, Georgia. Number eight is Georgetown, Guyana. Number seven, give yourself one point if you said Bangkok, Thailand. And you should have because we've talked about that Yay! a few times. That's number seven. Yay, I got a point, Tyler. Messy. You always do. <laughs> Evacuate. Give yourself a okay, point. Okay, what's number six? Give yourself a point if you said Kolkata, India. Nobody did, but I would have guessed that. Uh, I think, yeah, wait, yeah. wait, wait. Vinay, did you say Ho Chi Minh City? Yeah, Ho Chi Minh City. I'm sorry. Give yourself <laughs> Bring back two points. points. Two points. Two points for right. The next one is Venice, Italy. A lot of people said that one. Yeah. I didn't hear anyone say New Orleans at number three. Oh, yeah. That was a no-brainer. That's too obvious. <laughs> and and the super obvious, Basa, Bas, Basra, Iraq. I mean, everyone. I mean, that was so obvious everyone missed it. And yeah, then 
there was a couple people who got the number one answer correctly. Amsterdam, okay. Netherlands. A what? Where is Jakarta? I said that one. Hey, I won. I said it. Hang what on, is it? Never mind. Netherlands have lots of clocks. Sit on it and just roll, roll, roll a boat. <laughs> I think the Dutch will engineer some engineering solution to. Yeah, they've they've been life. fighting that yeah, battle for a hundred years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the Dutch. The problem is they're being paid a lot of money to fix Bangkok at the moment. The Dutch engineers. Which so hopefully they left <laughs> some of their best engineering minds at home to fix their own problems. Yeah, do the, they have track record? Uh, here, and I'm retweeting that article now to, uh, to the Twitter account for those who want to share. It. And I'll even pin it momentarily here to the top of the room as we do, so that you can see the results yourself. Uh, no, no point in trusting me. So, so basically, so basically, if you put a real estate investment in that city, that's real estate investment is going to go underwater, literally. <laughs> that classic Indian humor there. So the 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 uh, messy, you're still with us, right? As she normally wins tech news Jeopardy. Well, I thought there was there was wasn't there a Philippine at all? I I got the Bangkok, but I thought Philippine would be underwater. Yeah, what yeah. about Manila? Yeah, I did say. Well, there's that, the Indonesian I, Indonesian capitals relocating. They're spending. It's one of the biggest projects on earth. <laughs> is relocating Indonesia's capital from Jakarta. You know, several hundred miles away. They're moving the entire city. Um, yeah. So let me. Turn to the next one while we have Messi on stage because the news, the next one, and I'll pin it to the room here. Oh no, I'm not able to pin it because of that last link is has a weird bug in it, and it's hiding the edit button. That's a shame. Um, let me see if it, if I can read it. Sometimes if you delete the affiliate at the end, right? Affiliate link at the end. Cheryl, can you delete the the link at the top of the room? Yes, I'll do it now. Okay, great. So that I can put in a new one. Okay, perfect. Removed. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay, so check out this new one. And we have Messi here to comment on this. The the story says... um, I can see that. (laughs) Hold on. Let me get a better link because that that link I just pinned was to the Twitter, the tweet. And I want to link... Cheryl, can you delete it? Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Here we go. There it is. There here it comes. Oh, you do. There we go. You see the top one now? Calls for ceasefire in Ethiopia grow amid deepening conflict. And Messi is in Ethiopia and, and, and is in Adidas Ababa, where this article is about. It says African and Western nations called for an immediate ceasefire in Ethiopia on Thursday after. Forces from the country's north made advances towards the capital this week. The U.S. Special Envoy from the Horn of Africa arrived in the capital to press for a halt to military operations and and a start to ceasefire talks. The fighting must stop, they said. Yep. Are you able yep. to comment? Or are you are you not able to comment about this, Messi? Uh, well. I could just say what you just said, um, that um, the fighting is really getting bad um, and that there are, like what the article said, 
uh, international few delegations here in town trying to um, get the, the parties to, you know, to get into ceasefire and discussion. Um, we just had a, a new uh, state of emergency a couple of days ago by the government. Mm, we are losing you, Messi. <laughs> so while while we wait for it, it says. We'll we'll try you again in a second, Messi. It says that the conflict started last November when force, when forces loyal to the TPLF, including some soldiers, seized military bases in Tigray in response Abi sent more troops to the northern region the TPLF had dominated national politics for nearly three decades but lost much influence when Abi took office in 2018 the TPLF then accused him of centralizing power at the expense of Ethiopia's regional states which they deny which which accusations which Abi denies the Tigrayan forces and their Oromoro allies have made significant advances in the past week Here's a quote. We don't intend to shoot at civilians and we don't want bloodshed. If, if possible, we would like the process to be peaceful. A regional analyst who spoke on condition of anonymity said that the TPLF was likely to hold off any advance on Adidas Ababa until they secured the highway running from the neighborhood Djibouti to the capital. That required seizing the town of Mile and Ethiopian military spokesperson uh, did not respond to requests for comments. Yeah. Well, do do keep us updated if you could, Messi. That's. Uh, hope you're safe there, wherever you are. Hey, hey Tyler, yeah. it's Ken. I jo I joined late, but I got breaking news. It just oh. broke. Oh, right now. Okay. Hold on. Here so we go. Is, okay. Still love that music. Still love it. Ladies and gentlemen, take it away, Ken. Okay, so this is a supposedly a Wall Street Journal exclusive. They're, they're saying that they're the only one with the story that uh, Verizon and AT&T have decided to delay their launch of 5G, which was scheduled um, on December 5th because of concerns from the uh, FAA that 5G will interfere with uh, the cockpits in, in planes. And wow. I tweeted oh. and I tweeted that out to Tech News so you got you What do you mean what do you what is what do they mean delay? I mean we're talking about I know, I know technology so that was no. launched 2 years ago. So let me so let me read the story and then we'll okay. So here's the story. Two US two telecom companies agreed to delay their plan. I know I know I, I read I read this too. I said what do they mean delay because some of it's already been done. Because some of really some of what they call five G really isn't five G. It's more like a enhanced four G. Verizon doesn't really have any five G yet. It's like but it's, 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 it's a millimeter wave five G, which is the high frequency right version of five G, which they're probably talking about, right? Exactly. Yeah, because it's yeah. So it's two U.S. telecom companies agreed to delay their planned December fifth rollout of new G five G frequency plan uh, frequency band so that they can work with the Federal Aviation Administration to address concerns about potential interference with key cockpit safety systems, according to one of the cellular carriers, 
cellular carriers and people familiar with the matter. AT&T said in a statement it had agreed to delay its planned 5G deployment until January 5th at the request of the Transportation Department. Verizon also agreed to postpone its launch of the new 5G wireless spectrum by about a month, people familiar with the matter said. Um, the FAA has plan- is planning to issue official mandates as soon as this week that would limit pilots' use of certain automated cockpit systems, such as those that help planes land in poor weather, according to the government and industry officials familiar with the planned orders. Those limits would a- uh, aim to avoid potential interference from wireless towers on the ground transmitting new 5G signals. Um, such limits could result in disruptions to the passenger and cargo flights in 46 of the country's largest metropolitan areas, where the towers are located as soon as early. De- uh, where the towers are located as soon as early December. That doesn't necessarily make sense. A- aviation industry officials have said. Um, telecom industry officials have pushed back against any safety concerns, saying available evidence doesn't support the conclusion that 5G networks will interfere with flight equipment. Um, I mean, this is, it's pretty much most of the article. So that's, wow. yeah. I mean, 5G has, has been under testing and, and designed for a decade. And, and these come up at this point in the game. It really is bizarre. I thought the same thing. Evan, Evan, I think the same thing, but I think what some of the confusion is like, I know for a fact that, 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 that what Verizon calls 5G is very different than what T-Mobile's calling 5G. So. You know, in terms of yeah, so who knows what? Yeah, they it's mean, interesting. But... T- T-Mobile isn't even a uh, reference to your. No, they, they are use mostly the mid and low band frequencies, whereas Verizon and AT and T are pushing hard on the high band frequencies. So they must have found something pretty noxious in interference to have yeah. taken such a drastic step. Evan, is that the C band, the high band? C band is the mid band that the mid band. Okay, Verizon and. And AT&T spent a lot of money buying, and T-Mobile had tons of mid-bands. So I would say buy T-Mobile, sell AT&T and Verizon at this point. Okay. You ready for more juicy headlines from our friends in the audience? Katerina sends in this one. that gene, There's a gene now discovered that is linked to cognitive resilience in the elderly. Let me pin it to the room for you. So you can really get your your genetic geek on. Here we go. It says, uh, in both aging human and mouse models, researchers identified a link between the MEF2 gene and the cognitive resilience. The findings suggest enhancing MEF2 activity could protect the brain against age-related dementia. Many people develop Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia as they get older, however, Others remain sharp well into their age, even if their brains show underlying signs of neurodegeneration. Among the cognitively resilient people, researchers have identified education level and amount of time spent on intellectually stimulating activities like tech news around the world as factors that help prevent oh, dementia. Yeah. A- Editorial review. <laughs> I may have added that little bit there. A new study by MIT researchers shows that this kind of enriched Enrichment appears to activate a gene family called the MF2 gene, which controls a genetic program in the brain that promotes resilience to cognitive decline. The researchers observed this link between the MF, MEF2 
and cognitive resilience in both humans and mice. The findings suggest that enhancing the activity of the MEF2 or its targets might protect against age-related dementia. Here's the quote. It's increasingly understood that there are resilience factors that can be protect that can protect the function of the brain, says director of MIT's Pikauer Institute of Learning and Memory. Understanding the resilience mechanisms can be helpful when we think about therapeutic interventions or prevention of cognitive decline and neurodegeneration-associated dementia. You're you're getting a reward for that. Make it to tech news twice a day and read your books, and you should be able to help your MEF2 grow. And people, you know... What's your secret? What's your secret for saying so so uh, up to date and with it and uh, on the cutting edge at 80 years old. Is Dr. Fran still on? Maybe not, but she's my hero. She's the role model. So, um, yeah, we often joke that joining tech news around the world, you know, raises your IQ. And now we have an article to prove it. So that that helps. Uh, it also makes it we've also had people report it helps that your IQ not going go away. Right. That too. Yeah, we notice if you if you stop coming here that your IQ does go down. We've noticed that. <laughs> right, I just, Dave, I just, Dave? I just messaged Cal there to say, "Dear Cal, would you like some resilience? Yes. We need you." Uh, speaking of Cal, who's missing today? Uh, who's was the uh, the head of Best Buy for Asia? And was a uh, chief innovation officer at Best Buy globally for many years. Um, and if you've joined us regularly, you know that, of course. So this article is about Best Buy from Dr. Fran. And the I'll let me pin it for you in one second here. It says, the beginning of a long journey, a progress report on big retail's ambitions in healthcare. And it's all about Best Buy and Walmart's ambitions to pivot now that Amazon's thoroughly kicked their ass in the in the retail game, oh, don't report, don't don't support that link. I got the message here. Let me try that again. Let's one more time. Well, let's see. There it is. So, um, the the story about Best Buy is all about how retail is pivoting into healthcare. Because uh, people are, you know, shopping on Amazon, but Amazon itself is <laughs> got its sights firmly fixed on healthcare as well, as does Google and Apple. Uh, but it helps to have physical presence on the ground, which retailers have. And it says when Mark Wahlberg helped ring in the grand opening of Walmart's second health clinic in Calhoun, Georgia, alongside a raucous crowd of customers in January 2020, the world was. A, fir- a very different place. It was a celebrated moment at an exciting time in Walmart's push to open a string of new clinics scattered across America. The plan to build out its healthcare footprint seemed to have a shot at success. What busy parent wouldn't jump at the chance to tackle the grocery list and their child's earache in a single trip? The pandemic that soon followed has blurred the prospects of that success today with COVID-19 curbing foot traffic and giving virtual care a clear, if temporary, edge, Walmart appears to be facing a reality check on its lofty visions of high-touch in-person care. The retailer has opened just 20 of the 125 clinics it planned to have operational by the end of the year. The efforts of Best Buy, another retail giant with health aims, 
are meanwhile gaining steam after an $800 million acquisition of remote monitoring company Current Health. And analysts and industry observers say that for all the progress and setbacks, it's clear that major retail players are still committed to using their multi-billion dollar budgets to position themselves for a long game in hybrid health care. Yes. However, more perhaps more importantly, Amazon and Google and Apple, we've read really interesting uh, articles um, outlining their incredibly ambitious plans in those categories where Amazon's testing Amazon Health on its nearly 1 million employees and their family members. And once they've got that optimized, they will unleash it on the rest of its, probably their prime members first as part of the subscription of being a prime member and then to the public at large. And they will start with uh, telemedicine health, mental health care, which is what they're currently offering to their 1 million Amazon team members. And then get into getting big into the pharmaceuticals side and delivery of pharmaceuticals. And essentially, they own all of the Whole Foods stores. And they're busy building all kinds of physical presence stores where you can at your uh, nearby Whole Foods store, do your Amazon returns and ostensibly uh, they might even have a bit of a pharmacy there. Although they'll probably deliver your any of your pharmacy needs to your home. They'll do telemedicine with a doctor. They might have a nurse come visit you at your house for things. And by the way, I just had a really fantastic pitch that I received today, a startup pitch. Uh, who's seeking investment, happens to be from Stockholm. I'll even share the name with you, and you can even look at their website if you want to, because I was super impressed with this. Check this out. It's called um, Vidum, V-I-D-E-M dot S-E. Dot S-E is the domain ending for Sweden. And let me see if it'll stick to the top of the clubhouse room here. It doesn't. That's unfortunate. It's spelled V-I-D-E-M dot S-E. And what it is, is a little device that allows you to draw blood of your own at home and put it in the machine. And the machine is able to detect hundreds of different diseases that you might have. And then, But it sends the lab report to the doctor. And what this does is removes the need for you to go to the hospital to take a blood draw, basically, as Dr. Heyman or Dr. Donish will tell you if they're on stage, you know, a lot of times when you go to the hospital, they, you know, look at your eyes and in your ears and your mouth, and then they say, oh, okay, you either need to do a urine test or a stool sample or a blood test. Well, um, the blood test can, a lot of the things that can be discovered from a blood test, which is a lot of like your your white blood cell count, your red blood cell count, your blood sugar level. There's tons of different data points that can be determined from this little box that you can now have ostensibly at your house, especially if you need regular checks on your kind of vitals or on your vitamin D levels and your all your kind of um, levels that need to be checked. And that could be incredibly time-saving to have the machine be this miniature lab in your house that sends the data to your doctor and then your doctor makes the assessment and the decision of what you need to do. It's it's purely okay. like an... Ex- an um, what's yeah. the turnaround time for the results, though, on that on the Vitam product? I think it's, it's a great question. I don't, I'm not sure, but I've selected them to pitch at my event 
on Monday, which I'm flying to Stockholm to less than if it's less than an hour, it yeah. disrupts lab tech, it disrupts Siemens, for example, it mm -hmm. disrupts so many different people. Uh, I'm a little scared as an old lab tech girl. Yeah, it is. It so is within an hour. I've just I just looked at the website there, Tyler. I think yeah. that's one of the features or the advantages that they're moving on. But, but for some for some use cases, and honestly, it it won't matter outside of the safety profile piece that you're talking about, Sharon. Obviously, it needs to the the samples need to be safely and effectively, you know, analyzed analyzed within a certain window. But from a convenience um, and frankly, a health safety standpoint, being able to do a lot of standardized lab draws, not even just screening routine care stuff. I'm thinking about all of the, like my daughter's had 247 lab draws in her young life. And I know this because she has this the little, lovely little beads of courage thing they have for children at the children's hospital. And so to think that for the sorts of things that are being looked at for her particular condition, conditions, plural, um, could be standardized. And it, I, any any good um, you know, lab system would have the ability, I would think, to do CBC and the, the sorts of things that um, specialists look at for people with chronic conditions. That is like game-changing stuff to be able to not have to bring your child to a clinic or to the children's hospital for these sorts of draws. I, I'm Tyler, I will tell you, if, if you think these guys are are, are on a track and they're interested in the pediatric space, mm -hmm. I would be more than happy to you... work with them and connect them to our research partners at the university level because it's so needed. So well, here's, needed. here's the coolest part is I'm doing this for a physical live event in Stockholm on Monday where I'm going to fly tomorrow to Stockholm. And the plan is that the speakers, I, I got a bunch of good investors on stage who are um, unicorn CEOs and, and co-founders of some of the Nordic unicorns. And they have become angel investors. They're personal friends of mine. So the theme for this month is unicorn CEOs and founders turned angel investors. And they are going to play Shark Tank. They're the investors. And then I bring up three startups who are going to pitch them. And this is one of the three that I've selected. And what we're going to do is the people on stage are going to join us uh, in a social audio room like the one we're in right now. And um, so they will be physically on stage together and they'll also be simultaneously speakers in a room. And I'll be on stage just like I am now. And, um, and then the pictures will be in, on stage just like we are now. So it'd be like Dr. Fran and Cheryl and Anna Marie are the investors and Cammy and Pat and Heather are the startup pitchers. And we're going to have the conversation in the room in real time. But you can listen in the audience and you can jump up on stage. And Anna Marie, that'd be great if you jump up on stage and, and say what you just said to me to the person at the end of their pitch. Wonderful. Yeah, so it'll be. Uh, I was looking forward to that anyway, but I'm glad you invited them to yeah. be one of your three. Yeah, Not it's a selfishly. It's a hybrid, <laughs> you know. Uh, social audio slash physical event. So it's, we're trying to do the best of both simultaneously.
So, um, yeah, the product can, can provide the result within the hour. And so the next question is what's their QC process? Mm -hmm. Tyler, where can we read about the Stockholm event? Uh, can you oh, pin the link? To, let me, let me, let me try and pin the link. Let's see if it, my website will work. Yeah, I was going to ask, are there anybody else going from Stockholm or Sweden? Um, might be nice to take a beer or coffee yep. with a clubhouse there, group. There's about 400 people going to the event physically. There it is at the top of the room. But I mean clubhouse people here. Ah, I see what you mean. Other than myself, uh, uh, we might convince Ellen to jump over from Oslo or <laughs> Norway, rather. Uh, and Sarah will be there. I, I actually, you know, say, I, I knew that you were coming. I didn't know it was an open event and that it was next week, but it might be that I pop up. In fact, Annika, who just joined us on stage, who I know in real life from Stockholm, who's been to the event several times over the years, because we've done it every month for nearly a decade now, she was likely to pitch her startup. And in fact, if you do come, you almost certainly might see her on stage momentarily where I'm going to have all of the women entrepreneurs who uh, asked to pitch at the event. I'm inviting them to join us on stage and momentarily just ex explain what they're working on so that the investors in the audience and anyone in the audience is going to be encouraged to think about who they might know in their network to help uh, connect with the female entrepreneurs on stage. Great fun. <laughs> I'll, I'll look forward to it, Tyler. Very, very graciously of you to invite us. Thank you. Yeah, sure. So uh, a few more headlines, perhaps. Tyler, uh, real quick. Yes. Um, if we want to do a deep dive, either in this room or in the med tech room, I can reach out to some folks at Best Buy Health and uh, my friend Maya's VP of health merchandising at Walmart. I would imagine that they have probably, you know, a health services as well as the merchandising um, aspect, but I think it'd be really interesting um, to get some of those leaders in the room and get their point of view. And, and the other piece that I would say, and Cal and I have, you know, shared it in the past, Best Buy, this is not its first foray into healthcare. You know, in 2008, um, we, you know, were piloting something called EQ Life and um, it was just, it was way too advanced. It was too far into the future. Um, but it's really interesting to see now that um, Best Buy Health is actually listed as a healthcare um, organization, if you will. And so, so it, you know, we'll just, I'm just really curious to see how, just given the timing, you know, the integration of technology into our lives, that's much um, tighter than it was 15 years ago, um, as well as just the other players in the space to see how it will all play out. Thank you. That'd be fantastic. The uh, next one is also on the health tip a little bit from Tomoko in Japan. And I just invited up Akiko, who's raised her hand from Japan as well. So dozioroshiku. Uh, the next one says that AI algorithm quickly identifies heart failure. And this is from NVIDIA's developer blog. And you might be thinking, what the hell does NVIDIA have to do with healthcare? Well, NVIDIA has a lot to do with AI, uh, building kind of the optimized processors for doing AI. And let me pin this one to the top of the room for you. There you go. 
And it says that Mount Sinai researchers have created a new AI technology that can identify small changes within the heart and accurately predict heart failure in advance. That could be very helpful. That could save your life. Recently published in the Journal of American College of Cardiology, Cardiovascular Imaging, the research could lead to faster diagnosis and earlier detection of cognitive heart failure, helping doctors treat patients more effectively and slow disease progression. Here's the quote. We showed that deep learning algorithms can recognize blood pumping problems on both sides of the heart from ECG waveform data. Ordinarily, diagnosing these types of heart conditions requires expansive and time-consuming procedures. We hope that this algorithm will enable quicker diagnosis of heart failure. At, at, as the most common diagnosis in hospital patients over 65, over 6 million people in the U.S. have cognitive heart failure. The condition occurs when the heart is unable to pump blood through the body efficiently, with blood returning to the heart faster than it can be pumped out and creating congestion. As the body compensates and the disease progresses, several side effects such as enlarged heart, kidney failure, heart palpitations, and low oxygenation of organs occur. When diagnosing heart disease, doctors often use electrocardiograms for measuring heartbeat and electrical activity, along with echocardiograms for detailed heart images. However, diagnosing heart failure requires expertise, special equipment not always readily available and can be time-consuming. The researchers worked to create a deep learning framework that evaluates the function of the left and right ventricles. The team used natural language processing to train a computer to read and process written reports, along with correlating echocardiogram and electrocardiograms from 1,048,000 patients using over 700,000 echocardiogram and electrocardiogram reports from four different hospitals in the Mount Sinai Health System. The researchers trained the neural network to find patterns and recognize pumping strengths. Data from a fifth hospital was used to test the algorithm. And then the models were trained on a HIPAA-compliant NVIDIA GPU-accelerated Azure Cloud virtual machine with NVIDIA V100 Tensor Core GPUs, as you would do. The, al <laughs> the algorithm... <Good>. That's awesome. <laughs> The algorithm predicted which patients had a healthy pumping left ventricle with 94% accuracy and identified patients not with bad. A, not bad at all. And identified patients with a weak left ventricle about 87% of the time. Right ventricle function was harder to predict, and the algorithm hit 84% accuracy when predicting which patients had weak right valves. Last quote, our results suggest that the algorithm could be a useful tool for helping clinical practitioners combat heart failure suffered by a variety of patients, says Glixenberg. We are in the process of carefully designing prospective trials to test out its effectiveness in a more real-world setting. Nice, nice sample size, nice data set, nice yep. precision in the numbers. Yep. I mean, the whole thing is really cool. I got to drop, Tyler, but um, may the Lord bless your travels tomorrow and the event. I'm looking Thank you, brother. To See you guys. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the U.S. This U.S. city just voted to decarbonize every single building from Craig Nielsen from Washington Post. Following a city council vote, Ithaca, New York, is set to be the first city in the country of the United States to electrify its buildings with the help of block power. Ithaca, New York. The next one iPhone hack lets you listen to private conversations. An Apple 
an actor has been shocked after discovering sneaky iPhone feature that lets you listen to conversations happening 15 meters away. Well, let's see what this is about. Who's this one from? From News Australia. An iPhone sneaky spying hack has been revealed on TikTok. This could be bogus, by the way. An actor has been shocked after discovering sneaky iPhone feature that lets you listen to conversations happening 15 meters away. The actor shared her surprise after discovering Apple's Listen Live feature on her phone and said, so basically we're all spies now. Elizabeth Henstridge, who's best known for starring in as Jenna's as Gemma Simmons in the ABC superhero drama Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. shared a TikTok video demonstrating the tool. When someone explains the ear button on your iPhone means you can listen to conversations happening by your phone from 15 meters away. When someone, oh, she shows a facial expression. And then someone else explains the ear button on your iPhone means you can listen to conversations happening by your phone from 15 meters away. The Listen Live feature is actually designed as a hearing aid tool and can be added to your iPhone shortcuts. Listen Live can help you hear conversations in a noisy room or hear someone speaking across the room. When listen With Listen Live, your iPhone, iPad, or iPod becomes a remote microphone that sends sound to your made-for-iPhone hearing aids, meaning your AirPods. Oh, so what you can do is leave your phone in one location and then put in your AirPods in another location and hear what's going on where your phone is basically. So if you are meters away from your phone, you can still listen to the sounds via wireless headphones or hearing devices, depending on their range to activate, go to the settings and then accessibility and then select hearing devices. Then relationships is this going to ruin and how many friendships is this going to ruin Tyler? Yeah. Um, then, ta- yeah, well, it is what it this, is. This, this is not new. This TikTok video uh, for a while, but since she's a celebrity, so when she posts this, more people will know how to do this. So basically, it's just like the background voice. No, normally, it won't uh, be uh, uh, um, received by your iPod. But with with this feature, then you can hear. For example, you have if you have a fan that blowing, then you will hear the winds, so that all the background noise will be uh, uh, received by your iPhone. That's how it works. Ah, and so who did you catch with that one, Vivi? And actually, I tweeted a little, maybe <laughs> months ago, <laughs> months ago. Yeah, that's why. And I can find that to you. Okay, we'll keep us updated and make, let's make sure that person is uh, doing the right thing. So Katarina sends in the next one from Engadget that Waymo, Google's uh, fully autonomous car company, or ostensibly, theoretically fully autonomous, they still legally have to have a human in the seat for now, although they're not touching anything. Waymo will start operating in New York City. Waymo will start testing its self-driving vans in New York City on today, November 4th, helping it prepare for heavy traffic and snow. And I can just see the pedestrians intentionally trying to screw around <laughs> with these autonomous cars. Um, yeah, just please, Google. Google, could you please hit me, please? Uh, we want to have a very Merry Christmas this year. 
that would be one hell of a lawsuit. Uh, much of Waymo's in the middle of a crosswalk in Manhattan. I can just picture it now. Uh, much of Waymo's self-driving vehicle use has largely focused on warm climates. Yep. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, if I remember correctly, and I'm sure Dr. Francine could confirm that if she was still with us. And But it's about to give those machines a harsher trial. Exactly right. New York City and Phoenix, Arizona is like polar extremes on the difficulty scale. Waymo will start driving its autonomous Chrysler Pacifica vans in New York City on November 4. This is this and this and a later wave of Jaguar I-Pace EVs will rely on human drivers to map streets and learn from the environment. And there aren't any immediate plans to offer driverless rides to passengers. However, Waymo clearly hopes to use this knowledge for its long-term autonomy goals and its various cities. Ah, so. It says the rollout will focus on Manhattan below Central Park. Yep, I see what you're doing. AKA Midtown to Lower Manhattan, including the Financial District and a portion of New Jersey through the Lincoln Tunnel. Uh, All tests will operate during daylight. Yep, that too. So what they're doing is, you could call it macro grid or, you know, it's not fully level five autonomous because it's not operating on every street condition. It's not even working at night, for example. And but lower Manhattan is actually uh, harder. Yeah, way harder. Lower. Absolutely way harder. It's super condensed, too. Yes. There really isn't pedestrian traffic in Phoenix. So I, I've seen these Waymo vehicles um probably 2018, 2019. It was but, definitely pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, everyone drives in, in Phoenix, My, you know, and, and it's it's total urban sprawl, right? Or suburban sprawl. So I, I think by piloting in Manhattan, it's going to be a completely different kind of test. Yes, but they're going to start with humans driving all over the city to get the data. They want to map out the whole of Manhattan, south of Central Park, basically, by using humans to drive endlessly around Manhattan. And once... Hey, this Tyler, lower Manhattan is actually more difficult to drive during the day. I understand. I get get that. But they're using humans to drive the cars to get the data that they'll then train the algorithms on. That's why they need it during I, I, the day. I will be I will be amazed if 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 an uh, autonomous car can figure out how Me to too. get around a truck it, in Lower Manhattan that's amen. half the street. You and know? bicycles yeah. and people yeah. pushing yeah. baby carriages and jaywalkers. I'll eat my shoe if you can get an autonomous car to operate in Ho Chi Minh City. <laughs> <laughs> we, Left or right? We the Vespa in all direction. even cross the road in Ho Chi Minh City, right? <laughs> if you, yeah, I'll, I'll eat my shoe if you can, cro- <laughs> as a white person, can cross the road in Ho Chi Minh City. <laughs> yep, it's tricky. So the next one is from Katerina. No, that's a duplicate. India to hold annual drone technology conference soon. Vinay, did you send this in? The Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology is getting ready to host a national drone technology conference in India. Minister of State for Electronics Rajiv Chandra Shekhar said today he didn't provide too many details about the conference. Well, yeah, because <laughs> uh, 
Well, because I mean, Pakistan. <laughs> there's about 45 drone startups in the last 12 months. Seven of them have won contracts from the Defense Department. Uh, we now, India has a drone policy which is going to allow these drone uh, flight paths that are allowed for commercial use, everything from 10 kilos to 100 kilo package deliveries. Uh, it's been allowed. So drone investment is huge. Uh, the estimate is already there's been over a billion dollars of investment in drone startups. Yeah, they're really taking off right now. Hold on, we, get, we have a sound for that. <laughs> So Amazon launches a $70 air quality monitor for Alexa. Amazon unloaded a whole slew of new smart home devices back in September. But a smattering of products are still trickling out ahead of the holidays. Certainly a smart air quality monitor isn't as expected as, say, in a giant Echo Show, home robot, or even thermostat. But at least the inherent value in such a product is clear. The device is designed to measure the air for particulate matter, including carbon monoxide, dust, and volatile organic compounds, essentially chemicals in the air that could harm you. There's also built-in temperature and humidity detection. As the product page notes, the device hasn't ha doesn't have a built-in microphone or speaker, meaning it relies on connected Echo device or the Alexa app to send alerts when something is off. So one fewer microphone in your house, that's a plus. The company says the device was the product of user feedback during a, a testing period, noting that by making small adjustments like venting rooms with more frequently, opening windows while cooking, and opting to turn on air purifiers and humidifiers, testers experienced a notable improvement in their overall air quality. With these small adjustments, they also took us told us they were able to breathe easier in their homes and sleep better throughout the night. That could be quite interesting if you start combining the smart home concept where you start combining this thing with your aura ring and how well you're sleeping and that you can start adjusting the humidity in real time to optimize your sleep and it sees how well you're sleeping and it saw the humidity and it figures out the optimum bed temperature and humidity temperature and air temperature and blanket temperature, you know. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of potential there. I think uh, some folks might not even realize that for some basements, the amount of carbon dioxide in your basement can be double that of your primary or your first floor. So even having a sensor like this tell you about the atmospheric conditions can allow you to better plan not only how you vent, but also where you spend most of your time. Oftentimes you can be in a situation and you're like, oh, wondering why you're so sleepy. And it might just be a function of the air quality momentarily or chronic in some instances. Yeah, very interesting. So the have the uh, Dr. Fran sends in the comical one for Mashable. The headline reads, raisins have the Internet divided thanks to a viral TikTok video. People feel strongly about their mac and cheese ingredients, apparently. Well, that's a touchy subject. Don't put raisins in my mac and cheese. Nobody does that. <laughs> I thought it was potato salad. <laughs> or potato know, salad. That, right? What kind of cheese do you use for your mac and cheese? Oh, that's Processed interesting. Cheese, I do several. And, and a bechamel yeah, yeah, sauce. Three at least, yeah. Okay. Um... 
So we got a few more here. The front one from Dr. Fran Cruz, which is a partnership between what is it, GM and Intel and an Israeli autonomous company, if I recall correctly. Someone can correct me. I think I got it right though. Employees of Cruz, the self-driving subsidiary of General Motors, which by the way was also operating in Manhattan. Uh, can now jump inside one of the company's autonomous vehicles that are operating in San Francisco. Employees of Cruise, the self-driving subsidiary of General Motors, will be the first to jump inside one of the company's autonomous vehicles that operate in San Francisco without a human driver in the front seat. Now, prior to going into Manhattan, Cruise, was all, they went into San Francisco not that long ago. It seemed like two months ago we read that headline. I remember reading it. And now they're going fully autonomously because previously they had to have a human in the front seat. Right. They had the data. Yeah. And that's why I said you get the human. The human has to be there legally. You map up all the data. You do all the calculations. You And then this is the point is it, I imagine it can't drive to San Jose, for example, which is an incredibly common thing to do if you live in the Bay Area. If you live in the city and work in San Jose or vice versa, you live in San Jose or the, you know, south bay area uh or even or the other way across the golden gate if you live north of the city across the golden gate bridge and heaven forbid sausalito or something tragic like that so uh, hayes valley ain't so bad anyway so imagine i imagine that the car is not able to leave the city as as we call it um because it's mapped out and trained on the city so it's it has a very deep knowledge of a very limited geography Cruise, that would be interesting to find out because then you, uh, that's how the beginnings of, um, you get a whole bunch of unlocks starting to happen. You don't need truly level five autonomous to drive every, you know, possible scenario. You can have kind of limited level five of, of, a, of a particular, you know, geofenced area. Uh, Cruise co-founder, CTO, and President Kyle Voigt was reportedly the first to ride the driverless AV, and he gushed about it all over Twitter, saying, number one, Monday night was the night I'll never forget. I'm still speechless. I got to take the first ride by anyone ever in a driverless robo-taxi in the streets of San Francisco. This was officially ride number one for Cruise. Full story in vids below. Let me share the link at the top of the room, because Cheryl's not able to... He says, around 11 p.m. Monday night, we launched an AV without anyone inside for the first time. Until now, we've been testing with humans in the driver's or passenger seat. So this was the first. It began to roam around the city, waiting for a ride request. At 11.20 p.m., I used the cruise app and summoned my first ride. After a few minutes, one of the cruise AVs drove up to me and pulled over. Nobody was inside the car. I pressed the start ride button, and the AV smoothly pulled back into traffic. He also said he requested five more rides that night. The rides had been at night because according to the stipulations of Cruz's driverless appointment permit for the California Department of Motor Vehicles, the company can only operate driverless between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. at a max speed of 30 miles per hour. Hence San Francisco. Cruz received the permit in, and now we understand why they're in San Francisco and New York because in most cities of the world, 30 miles per hour is not usable uh but in those very specific cities that actually is kind of a normal traffic speed in those incredibly dense areas 
Tyler, another piece of this is just the demographics of the population. So, so um, my brothers happen to live in Arizona, and I swear when when my youngest brother got his license, it was like a twenty year window before he needed to renew it. I mean, I just remember being out to dinner and we were laughing. I just pulled it up. Um, now apparently people need to renew their photo every 12 years, but it's not mandatory. And, you know, just given the number of retirees that settle from places like Minnesota and Iowa and, you know, Illinois, you know, other parts of the Midwest and, you know, make their way down to Arizona, I think that there is an overall health, safety and mobility consideration, you know, for places like, you know, Arizona or maybe even Florida that have, you know, higher than average retiree populations that still want to have mobility. So, I mean, I think that would be another interesting angle, you know, as we think about, you know, autonomous um, ride, you know, ride services, if you will. Yeah, the next one is from CNET. It says, should we dim the sun? Why we need to talk about solar geoengineering? Injecting reflective particles into the atmosphere could turn down the heat on Earth, but research has been controversial. And this was attempted in northern Sweden by Bill Gates. You guys remember that headline from five months ago? What? I think Johan will remember. Yes, I remember, what? but I think in the end they didn't do it. That's correct. The Sweden said you can't do it. And the idea, and Bill, Bill Gates is a big fan of this idea. It's kind of like a chalk-like material that's highly reflective. And it will reflect a lot of the solar energy back, you know, from high up in the atmosphere. Um, cooling the earth, essentially. I'm trying but, to remember what life form requires light to exist. <laughs> um, starts with a T. Trees? Trees need Tree, maybe need trees, light. yeah. <laughs> it, it could also happen like that movie Snowpiercer. It could be a runaway cooling effect if you accidentally don't get the parameters just right. So I think there's a lot of risk there because the models are just not good enough. There is a competition now. I think DARPA is hosting competition to model buoys as they float throughout the ocean. So our atmospheric or modeling capabilities aren't quite there yet to do such kind of extravagant experiments so i'm glad to see or hear that they didn't uh didn't go through with it yeah it could have cataclysmic effects though right so i'm um, we're just not at the space where, and i never see a reason to dim the sun at all you're, you're causing so many things that could potentially occur and it can have a rippling effect before you can even get ahead of it no it's enough for me well, it's particularly a no for Swedes uh, who uh, worship the sun in certain months of the year. And the idea of reducing sun in Sweden when the sun's out is the most ri ridiculous idea you can imagine to a Swede. So five months after the Titanic struck an iceberg and sank in the North Atlantic Ocean in April of 1912, Carol Livingston Riker had an idea to prevent the tragedy from ever reoccurring. The Brooklyn-based engineer and inventor concocted a project so grand that he believed it could tilt the axis of the Earth. Riker's proposition was to redirect the Gulf Stream, the warm ocean current that works its way along the eastern coast of the U.S. by building a jetty off Newfoundland. Riker believed it could help warm water move into the Arctic, melting the ice and allowing ships to safely pass through. 
Moreover, the less ice at one end of the Earth, he reasoned that the planet would swing around a bit on its axis, warming up some of our world's coldest climates. Actually, I can pause you right there and tell you that, as every Scandinavian knows, uh, the only reason that, you know, southern Scandinavia is even inhabitable is because of that Gulf Stream. And if you redirect it, or in fact, what's happening lately is it's slowing down. We've, and that's the biggest fear of every Scandinavian is that the, the that warm Gulf Stream climate that feeds right into southern Scandinavia. Um, if that slows down, then we get a new ice age in Scandinavia and it becomes potentially uninhabitable again. And it is slowing down. And, so, and there's a lot of uncertainty about about how much it will slow down. But the thing is, there was uncertainty whether it was happening at all, but now there's certainty that it's helping and we just don't know. We don't know when, and this is the, the scary thing, when ocean circulation will collapse, right? Right. Uh, and that's that's where we are. And But the thing is that on the other side, um, uh, if we don't do something to stop global heating, uh, as soon as possible, basically, uh, that's one of many things that could ensue. And although I'm, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you finish the story and I'll, I'll go into my little tirade yeah. after that. So well, that was, go. they just use that as a quick little historical anecdotal, uh, evidence of, you know, geoengineering. That's the concept of geoengineering is you, you physically man makes things that affects the planet. So, building a jetty that would stop the Gulf Stream, oh boy, would you cause some interesting consequences that he himself didn't seem to understand that we now have a better understanding of is he would turn, you know, Scandinavia into, you know, uh, a tundra yet again. Um, and he thought, you know, it would actually have some benefits when, which uh, there might be some bizarre consequences that are hard to pre-anticipate. Anyway, so the idea is with geoengineering, what about... Um, putting this, you know, reflective material up into the lower atmosphere. What what might come of that? Uh, it's called solar geoengineering. Um, as world leaders, activists, and academics meet in Glasgow, Scotland for COP26, the UN Premier Climate Change Conference, CNET Science, is examining some of the technological advances being developed to help tackle the climate crisis. While technology might help us adapt or mitigate the effects of climate change alone, it's not a solution to the problem. Drastic reductions in carbon emissions are required for the world to limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. The chief goal of the 2015 Paris Agreement, and there's no substitute. Solar geoengineering doesn't address the underlying cause of human-driven climate change, carbon emissions. However, some scientists argue that it could be a cheap, important tool in our climate change toolkit if we can if we were able to research it more thoroughly others uh including environmental organizations like friends of world have opposed solar geoengineering writing that it will take us in the wrong direction and is an attempt by those most responsible for climate disruption to continue polluting in a nutshell, solar geoengineering refers to the deliberately increasing the amount of sunlight reflected back into space. You might also sometimes see it referred to as solar radiation management, or SRM. The most discussed approach, at least in recent years, involves releasing reflective particles into the atmosphere, the second layer of Earth's atmosphere, which extends to the edge of space. These particles, or aerosols, linger in the air and would be made of sulfate or calcium carbonate, 
It's known as a strat stratospheric aerosol injection, or an SAI, and scientists have been examining the risks and benefits of aerosol injection for decades. Nature is the best geoengineer, and volcanic eruptions are their own form of solar radiation management during an eruption. Plumes of smoke filled with sulfates can dim the sun. The Pinatubo eruption, the second largest in the 20th century, dropped planetary temperatures by half a degree in 1991. Sulfates come with considerable risks. They've been shown to damage ozone and potentially heat the lower tropical stratosphere. It's unclear how injecting these compounds into the atmosphere might affect rainfall patterns and whether they would disrupt some of the Earth's natural processes. In one sense, we might be changing the climate even more than we know. One high-profile SAI project is Harvard's Stratospheric Controlled Perturbation Experiment, or SCOPEX, which proposes to use a different compound, which is calcium carbonate. In computer models, calcium carbonate commonly found in limestone and used by snails to make shells has been shown to have a similar effects as sulfates without the ozone-depleting side effects. In fact, some models suggest it might even reverse ozone depletion. Another option is marine cloud brightening, which involves spraying sea salt into the air. In theory, this interacts with clouds to increase their reflex, uh, reflectivity. This type of RSM has been trialed over Australia's Great Barrier Reef and is intended to provide additional shade to the expansive coral system. A Dutch chemist and Nobel laureate named Paul Crutzen um, broached the idea of stratospheric aerosol injection in an essay 15 years ago, igniting a debate over SRM that continues to this day. Even though solar geoengineering has been floated for decades already, some trace it back to U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson in the 60s. Scientists barely speak of it. That's certainly They certainly weren't conducting the research. Kreutzert's essay, Wagner says, lifted a, a self-imposed moratorium on, discuss, on discussing or researching the technology, the science, or sorry, the silence around solar geoengineering was predominantly born of a fear that even speaking about it would create a moral hazard. If we had a technological solution like this, it could detract from efforts to cut carbon emissions, relieving pressure on the fossil industry and politicians. Problem is that we don't know exactly how these aerosols work and don't understand the pros and cons of actually doing the research. Solar geoengineering can have unintended consequences in our atmosphere. Scientists working in the field to kick off the experiments share the same concerns as environmentalists in this regard. Some opponents take it a step further, suggesting it's a slippery slope from scientific investigations to deployment. To date, work has mostly been confined to computer models, which can take the science only so far. Field experiments have been few and far between. In 2021, Harvard Scopex planned to change that, but met with extreme resistance. The, the team planned to conduct its first stratospheric aerosol injection in the field earlier this year, the team's experiment involved sending a balloon into the stratosphere above a small town of Karuna, Sweden. Attached to the balloon would be a platform stacked with scientific gizmos that would gather information about the flight. Crucially, it wouldn't release any aerosols on the flight. In February, a conglomerate of Swedish environmentalists and the Sami Council, that's kind of like the Eskim, the version, Sweden's version of Eskimos in the north of Sweden are called the Sami, the Sami Council, which represents indigenous peoples' organizations in the country, penned an open letter to the Experiments Advisory Board arguing that stratospheric aerosol injection entails risks of catastrophic consequences. The group also noted the lack of public engagement by the Scopex team in Sweden and argued that there were no accountable 
acceptable reasons for Scopex to continue, not just in Sweden, but anywhere. A month later, Scopex advisory board consisting of environmental scientists, lawyers, and experts in risk management suspended the trial. It decided that until robust and inclusive engagement with the public occurred, the balloon would remain grounded. The earliest date for the test flight is now expected in 2022 after additional social engagement. Well, it ain't going to happen in Sweden, I can tell you that much. So, interesting article. The question is where to test it. Do not test it. If you're going to test it, you have to do it in a controlled manner. And there's just too many variables for me. The the level of carbonic, uh, carbon carboxide you would even need for for this project to launch, it's it's just a variable that I'm not comfortable with, because we do know that there are some effects on here. It's interesting that they said it has minimal effect, but there are some effects of carbon uh, carboxide on humans that are that produce horrible side effects. And additionally, I'm not comfortable with the not knowing what it would do to our carboxic cycle and even our our um, our entire weathering cycle. And so, at the end of the day. Yeah, you can potentially do, you can cause some initial warming, but the astronomic impact later on could be disastrous, not only for our greenhouse effect, but for human beings as well. You have to understand that some of that is going to be consumed by us as well. And I'm not sure how it, the, it's going to affect on Earth as well. I'm just not comfortable with the entire concept. And I don't see a safe way of piloting it before launching such a large project, but I'll football it to Eli who can say so more eloquently. So, um, Okay, I mean, get, at scale, all of the things that that uh, Sharon just said uh, are are true till proven uh, otherwise. There are some you know minor things that that, that I'd correct, but but in, I, I agree with the thrust of that. Um, this is kind of in the, the self stratospheric sulfate aerosol uh, injection in particular, which is the version of sulfate aerosol injection that's received the most study. Um, is is in the category of things that I describe as hopeful chemical dumping. You know, we've we've screwed things up. Now let's let's try and see if adding a little bit of this other stuff can fix things for us. Um, and it's poorly controlled. The I do kind of think though that the the you know if if things if there were no other alternatives and I'm going to get to the alternatives uh the the calcium carbonate uh is worth at least studying uh in in very limited situations uh to to see what that is done but let me move on to the other forms of uh, uh, um, s- solar radiation management, which um, I think are less problematic and more promising. But before I do, I should mention that any any solar radiation management is just a clutch play, and it's one leg of a three-legged stool uh, that lets us really get a handle on the situation and fix the mess that we've made. Specifically, the other two are switching fully to renewables and uh, also getting carbon dioxide removal. In other words, really cleaning up the mess, not that we're making every year, which would be you know, what switching to renewables can do for us, but uh, um, getting, you know, cl- cleaning up what has been accumulating for two centuries since the start of the Industrial Revolution. 
And uh, that has to be done, not least because the excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and carbonates in the ocean are associated with ocean acidification. And if we weren't hearing all the headlines about what's happening on land and in the atmosphere, we'd be hearing plenty uh, uh, more about what's happening in the ocean due to ocean acidification, because that is uh, an ecological catastrophe in its own right. And the ocean is already producing less oxygen. Net primary production has already been going down. Uh, and, uh, you know, coral reefs, if, if we lose 90% uh, of coral reefs, as, as we're on track to do, uh, we will also see fish uh, stocks, fish in the ocean decline to 40% of what they are. So, no, there, you know, there is no way around it. We absolutely have to clean up the mess. We have to uh, get excess carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. But we are also in a situation where we have stressed the climate system so far that uh, it is advancing towards tipping points. And the really scary thing is we don't know where these tipping point points are exact. We don't know exactly how far away from them we are. If we stopped emitting carbon dioxide today, other than what we are exhaling, uh, we would continue to heat up. We would continue to lose permafrost. That would continue to emit more CO2 and methane. And at some point, that would start emitting more than, than we are emitting this year, right? Which is towards the, the, the high end of anything we've ever emitted, uh, may or may not be a record. So anyway, uh, on solar radiation management, there are other approaches. Chris and I were actually talking about uh, working on one of them together, which is called cumulus cloud thinning. Cumulus clouds are the thin, thinnish sort of clouds uh, at around 10, 10, 11 kilometers uh, high. And what they do, you know, water is actually a more potent uh, greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, but carbon dioxide is kind of like the regulator of the system. Without carbon dioxide, it would eventually all rain out and freeze out and we'd get a new ice age. So we do need, you know, the, the certain level, 280 parts per million, 300 parts per million of carbon dioxide, but it's much higher and we have more water in the atmosphere. And among the things that that does is uh, contributes to more cumulus clouds. So if we could thin those, more of the light that hit the, the heat that bounces back from the Earth's surface could just be re-radiated out into space, especially at night. And um, that would be one way of counterbalancing the radiative forcing due to the excess of greenhouse gases. Um, there are other approaches. Uh, another one that I've also looked at and may pursue is uh, called marine cloud brightening. Uh, it's tricky to get it just right where the clouds that you are encouraging to form have a greater reflectivity so that the light just bounces off the tops of the clouds. Um, it, that has been stu studied as well. I mean, the, the thing that's been studied most is the sulfate aerosol um, um, injection, but the, these other approaches are receiving more study. Um, the, the other approach that I have been looking at very seriously report came out and be became clear to me that, uh, you know, 
we could, you know, we don't know what the risk is that we will go over tipping points between 2030. Other people that I know and respect don't think it's it's a, a, a major risk till 2030. But 2030 is is the date that I think that uh, carbon di carbon dioxide removal could really be ramped up. Uh, and really take us below net zero, even if the world doesn't get it together uh, to to reduce fossil fuel uh, combustion, uh, and and that's a whole another discussion, which you know we 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 can have another day. But um, even if there is only a one percent chance, I mean that's breaking our climate. And you know if anybody thinks what we saw this summer uh, uh, is, is, you know, ca catastrophic. You would not have seen anything yet if we go into, uh, uh, over those tip tipping points into, uh, catastrophic, uh, uh, um, climate change. Uh, but so, so the, the approach that I've been looking at, uh, had, had been proposed actually by, by a few people. There was an important paper by Edward Teller of all people, uh, in 1997, and they looked at three methods, uh, including the sulfate aerosol and stratospheric sulfate aerosol injection, which is what they later went with. The, the goal of that paper, and, and this is the, the, the sad history of, of, of the field, uh, was to do something to reduce uh, um, you know, excess uh, um, radiative forcing uh, so that we can keep burning fossil fuels longer. So, so it does have that shady history. Uh, but nonetheless, even in that paper, the proposal was to create a mesh of aluminum, 100 nanometers wide by 60 nanometers thick, and, and the periodicity is, is important of that, um, deploy it at Lagrange point one, which is the special point between the Earth and the Sun, uh, about uh, one and a half million kilometers uh, away from us, where the Earth and the Sun's gravitational field kind of cancel each other out perfectly, so it stays exactly between us and the, more or less exactly between us and the Sun. And uh, that, because of the optics that it exploits, um, it would take 3,500 tons uh, of a you know, of material in 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 this mesh uh, at that point. Which at the time, when launch costs were were ten thousand, more than ten thousand uh, dollars a kilogram, that was you know obviously a kind of pro prohibitive uh, proposition. You know, launch costs now are getting towards a thousand dollars a kilogram and uh, will probably be below that for special cases like this can be a special case uh, in the not distant future. And e even as things are, a SpaceX Starship, uh, the best figure I have is that it would uh, be able to uh, get 35 tons to Lagrange point one. So, I mean, this is this is non-trivial, right? N not inconsiderable, but if if 100 SpaceX launches was what it would take, uh, we can do that. And, uh, um, you know, there, there, there are, I'm not going to go into the details, but there are ways of bringing the cost down further. But the really important and attractive thing about this is that it can be completely controlled dynamically. Uh, think of Venetian blinds where you just turn a lever and the blinds open and close right so we can have spatial temporal and 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 to a certain extent spectral control 
over exactly how much is being deflected away at any given time. Hmm. And I won't go. Yes, crazy. I won't go into the deep. It well, put, put yeah. sunglasses on the sun. That's a pretty cool idea. And, yes, and, and, and any given time, Eli, and over any given territory. Well, so the the place to worry about. Uh, the most is the poles because we really have to preserve right. uh, permafrost and we have to make sure that Antarctica doesn't melt. And like part of the, the what's, what's interfering with ocean circulation is that you have uh, the green Greenland uh, ice shelf uh, melting and you have the Arctic uh, uh, sea extent being reduced and, you know, other, other uh, ice melting. And that interferes with the way that uh, cool water would normally uh, sink and drive the ocean conveyor belt. Because what's happening is that the fresh water, it's not salt water, the fresh water is, it just kind of sits there at the top and pre- prevents the, the salinity from driving that. It was the, the cold saline water is what sinks, but you're replacing it with fresh water. So you're interrupting that conveyor belt, and that's what's scaring everybody. Um, and there, there are other things. Now, I, I, should, I should mention that you know, this is much more feasible than anybody has considered, in my opinion, um, due to, for, for a number of reasons. And, and that's, you know, I've held whole rooms on that. I'm not going to go into it now. Uh, this is very much viable. I think that we should at least be, be studying it and developing it. But also, also, this is really important, doing extensive, high fidelity, high resolution climate modeling to really understand exactly what we're doing as this is being developed so that we can figure out if there are any unanticipated problems. And we can also figure out the most optimal ways of doing this, because if there's one thing about climate, it is incredibly uh, uh, complex. So I'm going to stop And now. temperamental. Okay. Okay. And if anybody has any questions, and by the way, follow me. I'm going to be holding more rooms in the Small Steps and Giant Leaps Club on this topic. Very cool. Thank you, Ellie. That's awesome. So you guys remember a friend of mine from Stockholm who was making an education app and he was getting in a big battle with the city where the city was trying to stop him? Tom remembers? Yes, yes. Yes, I do. So he's now the subject of a, a wired article today that says he came in his name's christian and he's come in here multiple times and where i say hey christian how's it going with your fight with stockholm he's he's a very notable geek in our ecosystem uh he runs a big development team um and they build a lot of the top apps for a lot of big companies and uh, we've been friends for many years and um so the wired article says the headline reads these parents built a school app then the city called the cops. Great headline. And, you know, they're going to dramatify and, you know, clickbait as usual. And I pinged in Christian to see if he can come in here and give us his actual firsthand update of what's really going on, which will be far better than anything this article will say. And we probably know more than this journalist does because he's already spelled it out for us himself in here many times. But the article says Stockholm's official app was a disaster. So annoyed parents built their own open source version. No, not exactly. My friend Christian made the app (laughs) and I don't think he's even a parent. So um, ignoring warnings that it might be illegal. Yes, they did tell him that it is illegal what he's doing. And that's really bizarre because it's not at all illegal what he's doing. Um, 
even according to their own terms of service of their own uh, data. So the article says Christian Landgren's patience was running out every day. The separated father of three. Oh, so there you go. He, he, there, that's why I was confused. Um, a separated father of three was wasting precious time trying to get the city of Stockholm's official school system called school platform to work properly. Langren would dig through endless convoluted menus to find out what his children were doing at school. If working out what his children needed in their school, in their gym kit was a hassle, then working out how to report them as sick was a nightmare. Two years after its launch in August 2018, the school platform app had become a constant thorn in the side of thousands of parents across Sweden's capital city of Stockholm. All these users and parents were angry, Langren says. The school platform wasn't meant to be this way. Commissioned in 2013, the system was intended to make the lives of 500,000 children, teachers, and parents in Stockholm easier, acting as a technical backbone for all things education, from registering attendance to keeping of records of grades. The platform is a complex system that's made up of three different parts containing 18 individual modules that are maintained by five external companies. The sprawling system is used by 600 preschools, 177 schools, with separate logins for every teacher, student, and parent. The only problem, it doesn't work. The school platform, which costs more than 1 billion Swedish crowns, about $117 million, has failed to match its initial ambition. In, well, I can tell you it's because they hired, who was it? Uh... Which which big uh, consulting agency did they hire to build it? I forgot when he told me. I don't I don't want to name them because they're all sponsors of my events. But <laughs> large large company heading from a Swedish. Uh, oh, Tieto. Finnish, uh, yeah. Yes. Everyone. Oh well, they're from Finland, Finland, so we can name them, and they have been. Yeah, and, and bought, <laughs> bought up a lot of companies yes. in Sweden as well. Yeah. So Tieto, and all in all fairness to Tieto. They're lovely to work with uh, when they're sponsoring my events, but um, they were the ones building this app for Stockholm. So anyway, and Tito's largely Finnish, but they do a lot of work in in Sweden as well. So the school platform, which has cost about $117 million, by the way, that's a lot, even for what this app is. Like Christian could have built this thing for like a tenth of that, honestly has failed to match its initial ambition. Parents and teachers have complained about the complexity of the system. Its launch was delayed. There have been reports of project mismanagement, and it has been labeled an IT disaster. The Android version of the app has an average of a 1.2 star rating. On October, and by the way, Swedes are not at all tolerant of bad apps, because <laughs> Sweden is filled with amazing apps. Swedes are masters at making incredibly simple, elegant, childishly uh, brilliantly simple powerful apps that's what they do and they're used to that there's a you know you don't come with an app in sweden unless that shit is simple and gorgeous and fun to use so anything less than that they're not going to tolerate it for a minute and especially if it doesn't work they have no tolerance for that um on October 23rd, 2020, Langren, a developer and CEO of a Swedish innovating consulting firm, iTeam, tweeted a hat design emblazoned with the words Scrota School Platform and loosely translated to mean trash the school platform. He joked he should wear the hat when he picks his children up for school. Weeks later, wearing the very hat, he decided to take matters into his own hand. From my own frustration, I started to create my own app, he says. He wrote to the city officials asking to see the school platform API process while waiting for a response. He logged into his account and tried to work out 
whether the system could be reverse engineered. In just a few hours, he had created something that worked. He, quote, I had information on my screen from the school platform, he said, and then I started building an API on top of their very lousy API. The work started at the end of November 2020, just days after Stockholm's Board of Education was hit with a $4 million sec, or about a $400,000 fine for GDPR, which is uh, Sweden's personal privacy data policy, GDPR, for serious shortcomings in the school platform. Uh, Sweden's data regulator had found serious flaws in the platform that exposed the data of hundreds of thousands of parents, children, and teachers. In some cases, people's personal information could be accessed from Google searches. Uh, in the weeks that followed, Christian teamed up with fellow developers and parents, uh, and, a, and the trio hatched a plan. They would create an open source version of the school platform and release it as an app that could be used by frustrated parents across Stockholm. Building on Christian's earlier work, the team opened Chrome. Developer tools logged into the school platform and wrote down all the URLs and payloads. They took the code, which called the platform's private APIs, and built a package so it could run on a phone, essentially creating a layer on top of the existing glitchy platform. The result was called Open School Platform, both in English and in Swedish. Uh, just get, tells you just how similar the two languages can be, actually. The app was released on February 12th, 2021. And all of its code is published under the open source license of GitHub. Anyone can take or use the code with very few limitations on what they can do with it. If the city wanted to use any of the code, it could. But rather than welcome it with open arms, city officials reached with indignation. Even before the app was released, the city of South Stockholm warned Christian that it might be illegal. In the eight months that followed, Stockholm City attempted to derail and shut down the open source app. It warned parents to stop using the app and alleged that it might be illegally accessing people's information. Officials reported the app to data protection authorities and Christian claims tweaked the official system's underlying code to stop the spinoff from operating at all. So they hijacked it and kind of attacked it. Uh, sabotage, you could say. Then in April, the city announced it was getting the police involved. Officials claim the app is and its co-founders may have committed a criminal data breach and asked cybercrime investigators to look into how the app worked. The move took Christian, who had been meeting with city officials to address concerns of the app, by surprise. Quote, I it was quite scary, he says, to the police involvement. Open School Platform is not a complicated app. While the official school platform is built for everyone involved in the education of the Swedish capital, 200,000 parents, 23,000 members of school staff, and 140,000 students, the open source alternative is just for parents. The one euro app or one dollar app has been downloaded about 12,500 times on iPhone and Android with an average of a 4.2 star rating and only shows basic information. Parents log in using the Swedish digital identity system called Bank ID, which is also used by school platform. They then see the information about their children that's pulled into the app from through the school platform API. That app shows school calendars and events such as music concerts, daily school schedules of students, notifications from teachers that links out to grades and news updates, food that's being served in cafeterias, and an option to report if children are sick. Quote, everything that we display is open and public information, says Obrink, one of these co-founders. He explains that when students' grades are shown, they are displayed through an in-app browser where the app can't access any data. One of the first iterations of the app includes some parents' personal details, which are available through the official platform, but these were later removed. It was sort of an accidental success. 
We never anticipated it would work out as well as it did. He says the open platform team held meetings with the city in which the uh, which they said officials could take their code and use their version of the app. Quote, they didn't they did not want to collaborate or even discuss collaboration with us. They just went on and reported us to the police. The city of Stockholm was unsure about open platform from the beginning. Quote, we did not have open APIs, so they made their own solution, says Helene Mossberg, the deputy head of digitization and IT at the city's education division, told Swedish publication New Technique in February. Mossberg, speaking before the unofficial app launched, said it may be illegal because people's personal data was involved. Although Mossberg claimed to be generally positive about the app, she said rigorous investigation was being launched, the city encouraged the developers not to publish the app until the investigation was completed, official documents say. In mid-February, Swedish security firm completed an external audit of the app. The report was not published, despite Sweden's strong transparency laws. In order to access the document, the Open School platform and team challenged the non-disclosure in court. Three weeks later, at the end of February, the stakes were raised. The city said it was making security updates to the school platform to stop any potential personal data from being accessed, effectively shutting down open school platforms, homebrewed API. The city's action started a tug of war between the two sides. The school platform would be updated. Open school platform would respond with its own updates. In March, open school platform was apparently updated seven times to avoid sabotage from the city, which continued to change its underlying systems. Quote, they were worried that, that their information was sent elsewhere, Christian says. Uh, around this time, he claims a dedicated task force was established to tackle the open school platform problem. Lena Holmdahl, director of education for the city of Stockholm, says that the city acted in line with its responsibilities to suppliers, students, and employees. Quote, I can understand that the open school platform feels that we made it difficult for them. We have responsibilities that we try to perform in accordance with the agreements, laws, and regulations we are obliged to follow. Homdahl adds that the city has met with the team to try and explain this position. Quote, the developers behind the app have many interesting thoughts and ideas, and they have, with their app, put their finger on things that we need to work on. In early April, the city asked the developers to unpublish their source code from GitHub. On April 15th, the Education Administration, led by Homdahl, announced it had completed its investigation into the parent-developed system and had concerns about how the app handled data. The city then reported the developers and open school platform to the police, saying that it believed a data breach may have happened. Quote, they wrote the police report in a way that was supposed to look scary, Christian says. In the following weeks, cybercrime investigators came to his house and interviewed him about the open source app, a process, Christian says, caused him to doubt the work the team had done. Quote, you have to make a decision at that point on what you're trying to do, he says. Ultimately, he continued to work on the project along with the expanding team as they believed it was the right thing to do. Oh boy, this goes on for a while. Ultimately, Christian hopes the Open School Platform saga will teach politicians and city officials that the technology they provide for citizens shouldn't be procured as huge IT projects and that the people who will end up using it should be involved in the planning and development. Christian argues that cities should learn to run their IT projects with small updates rather than with monstrous procurements that can easily go wrong. Most of all, Christian argues the officials should make their APIs open to citizens so that citizens can build technologies that work for them. If you build the API, he says, the app will come. Uh, and so I'm jumping to the end of the article. It says, despite the disputes, Open School Platform looks to have a bigger future and is expanding beyond Stockholm city limits. Christian and his collaborators have already seen interest from elsewhere in Sweden, where school platforms are, are operated by individual cities. 
Chief among these is Gothenburg, Sweden's second largest city. Talks between parents and city officials are taking place, and Christian says the team is already working on a new version of the app. City officials have not responded to a request for comment by time of the publication. So everyone's getting a look at what Christian already spelled out for us firsthand uh, months ago. Essentially, yeah, this the city's making an app and they hired a, a huge consultancy firm to build it. Christian, who's, uh, you know, I'm surprised the, the big consultancy firm didn't even hire Christian to build it themselves. So it's a... Uh, Christian is the right team to kind of build something like this in Stockholm. So um, kind of crazy how the city reacted. Yeah, that seems to be very odd, given that basically the solution was given to them on a silver platter with a lot of the problems fixed. You would think that, oh, wait, let's just flip this around. It's a victory for everybody. We save money. I would think that... Uh... They would be a little bit more uh, level-headed with I think responding. they don't understand the concept of open source code. Because then when he says, like, hey, look, it's open source. You can take it. It could be your app. There you go. I, I think they just fundamentally don't understand the concept of open source. Well, apparently they do because they went in and tried to sabotage it. <laughs> but um, anyway, it says the city... Uh, Christian was traveling with his brothers to his brother's wedding in France at the start of September when he got a phone call. The city was changing its position on open school platform and any other app seeking to do similar and, and decided to let others access the data within its system. To do so, the city struck a deal with an external provider that will be able to set up licenses between open school platform and the city. With this solution, the city of Stockholm can guarantee the personal data is handed in a correct and secure way while parents can take part in the market's digital tools in their everyday lives, says Isabel Smedberry Palmquist, a school counselor, a city councilor in Stockholm, said in a statement issued on September 9, the move was validated by Open School Platform's efforts. The team estimates that hundreds of hours of work have been put into the app, but the call also came as a shock to Christian. <laughs> Sorry, Annika. Um, Open School Platform was once again being buffeted, buffeted by attempts to block its access to its official APIs after the announcement was made. Christian now hopes Open School Platform will be able to strike a deal with the city of Stockholm that will result in the city paying for a license to the app. The aim is for it to be made free for all parents. It's going to look a lot like the city buying Microsoft Office, Christian says, a typical license deal. If a deal can be struck, the details and the numbers are still being negotiated. Apple School Platform volunteers will be paid for their contributions, he said. The, the founders say the effort has never been about making money and that they have always intended on giving away funds generated through the downloads to the parents who created it. Okay. We will pause it there because I literally have to sleep for six hours and then get on a plane to Stockholm. So we will meet again. May I can't, I can't guarantee what tomorrow will be like because I got a really crazy travel schedule tomorrow. So this might be literally the first day in the history of tech news around the world in six months that I can't guarantee we'll actually be meeting tomorrow. I believe we will. Uh, so I, is it on the calendar for tomorrow, Cheryl? Did, did I yes. ask? It is. 
you at the early show, yes? Right okay. Now. Yeah. So a- it's anyhow tomorrow uh we have a session at 9:30 uh, a.m. Pacific time for spyware.yki by Data. Already? Well, could you allocate someone to actually start the rooms tomorrow or need it yeah. to be you? At the minimum, can, I'll start the room and then maybe I won't be able to talk so much and then everyone can share headlines and all that kind of, yeah. Yeah, so but me, way, and, me Tyler, and Cammy will Tyler. work out the backup plan. So whoever wants to share articles, just come on. In, in, in one of the rooms that I held on the Space Base Solar Sunshield, Chris uh, participated while he was flying. So if you have Wi-Fi on your flight, it can work. Yes, I do. I got, I bought the Wi-Fi package for the whole flight from Bangkok to Helsinki. So we'll so, see how that so works. You can make history here. Yeah, that could be very interesting. The uh, the the mile high version. So. Um, hope have a good rest of your uh Thursday, everybody, and hopefully see you tomorrow. Yeah, what'd you say, Ellie? Yes, have a great I, I'm putting Tyler. references uh, to the rooms and, and the space based solar uh, sunshield uh, on the tweet that you retweet for okay. who's interested to find. All righty, thanks. Uh huh. See you soon. Okay. Thank you. Have a safe travel, Thank you. Safe travels. Oh yeah, Johan. You... Welcome back to Stockholm. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I'll see. 